I'm a seeker, too. But my dreams aren't like yours. I can't help thinking somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom, episode 249. I'm Dave and I'm here with Rich. Rich, how are you going? Uh, not too bad, but tired as usual, but uh, I'll get there in the end. Come on, how man. More energy needed. You, you, we're at 249. We're right on the precipice of 250. 250 episodes of solid gold, if I may speak you know, so proudly of the, my own empire. But 250 coming up of the flagship... And are we high in our own supply? And are we running with a bit of ego? Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think, Rich? I mean, I'm obviously, I'm freestyling now. I'd like to be, but I'm too tired. You're too tired. I mean, right, Rich, so you're working six days a week, is that right? Almost eight days a week, the Beatles song, but six days. Well, eh? Yeah, well, you know, everyone's getting the silly coronavirus now. Yeah, have you had it yet? How have you not had it? Seriously. I guess I'm just immune. But like seriously, how are you? How have you not got it yet? With you, you've been since the start of this pandemic working in that store with like no time off other than when you were forced to. I, I don't understand it because it really, for those who don't know, in Australia and New South Wales, it is sweeping through the community at a rapid pace. Um, yeah, do you do you guys have to do rapid antigen tests before you go in for work or anything, or weekly or something? No, only if you're not feeling well. Right, okay. Do they give you test kits or, or not? That'd be ridiculous. No. So it's just uh, left to you, left up to your own devices, yeah. basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man, uh, that would suck. I mean, we've I've just been working from home, so, I mean, I've noticed it in terms of the volume of business. It's certainly slow, but it's always slow in January, so that that's nothing abnormal but yeah no it is it is crazy times yeah man i i i must admit michelle and i were saying we cannot understand how you haven't had this virus yet <laughs> it's probably because i don't stress about getting it no i know you're not particularly worried about it i know and, and you're vaxxed aren't you you're all vaxxed and everything so yeah yeah have you had not... your booster no you need to have the booster man come on well, why do i need to have it because it gives you extra protection richard but i have not got covid so why do i need the booster <laughs> So are you, are you not getting the booster? Seriously? I would have thought. Um, well, I'm not up for it yet. Uh, right. Apparently, you can only get it four months. But uh, yeah. as I said, I'm not really... You're not too worried. not fussed and, you know, I don't seem to be... And work uh, doesn't get, push everyone you? Everyone else is dropping like flies. I'm fine. And work hasn't pushed you at all? No, I don't think they can. Uh, they forced us for the, the vaccine, but I don't right. know if they can force us for the booster. Right. Okay. But uh, all right. fair enough. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. They may not be able to. Now, anyway, turning away from the apocalypse, which continues, um, it's it's a very slow apocalypse. Um, we're doing this week, your pick, Rich, The Star Wars. Uh, mm. George Lucas's rough draft screenplay uh, back in, he wrote in 74, um, of what then became, obviously, Star Wars, you know, other, otherwise titled A New Hope, Episode 4. So... I've always wanted to read it, actually. Uh, just curiosity, really. That, that That's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing this has going for it, just pure curiosity about what, what he had planned. So 
Good pick from you, Rich. Do you own it in trade paperback or, or do you just read it digital like me? No, I've got it in a in a in a trade. Yeah, of course you do, Rich. You're not making mistakes, are you, man? Really, at the end of the day, like when it well, comes again, to this, this was this was at a point where Star Wars was great, sure. and I was buying everything Star Wars. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like a lot of my money went to Star Wars, which it doesn't go to now. I did not know. See, I didn't know that that you were you were such a heavy Star Wars like comic collector at all. I I did not know that. Um, or books as well. It just shows you how little attention I pay, actually, probably. I've probably been at your house and seen all these books and just totally not even <laughs> noticed. Um, well, there weren't Conan, so you weren't interested. In yeah, I, I always <laughs> like looking at your trades and stuff, your comic trades. But what was I going to say? Um, oh, my gosh. Something, something slipped out of my mind. Oh, yes. So it was during this run of this comic that the acquisition uh, where Marvel announced that they were going to be publishing Star Wars. So Disney announced that Marvel would be publishing the Star Wars, and that was announced in the back of, I think, the Star Wars issue six. So it was during this run. Yeah, that, yeah. That, this that, is like one of the last yeah uh, Star Wars books that was done yeah. uh, before the acquisition. And I remember Brian Wood kicked off a, um, a Star Wars uh, series that was quite highly anticipated, and then that quickly got shoved aside because of the Disney... Um, mm-hmm. thing so yeah interesting um, and didn't you say recently that it start, Dark Horse are now going to be doing some young Star Wars product again yeah uh, they've got uh, uh, they're going to be doing a lot of the, the young adult stuff now yeah they're not going to be doing any of the um, uh, the main, the main uh, stuff like the it, it's just going to be what uh, IDW are doing and do we know uh, how much? What's that site again called, Rich? How, how much does a Star Wars comic sell for these days with through Marvel? Like, what's what's that site you had? The one that you know, the tracker. What was it called? Remember, I was going to do weekly reports, and then I totally forgot about it. Oh, uh, uh, Comic Cron, you mean? Yeah, I'm going to look it up now. Comic Cron. Let's let's have a look. Hey, like, do you reckon that they're best? Surely they're outselling most books on the shelf. You know, I don't think so. Really. Gee, if they if they're not outselling stuff, like I'd be worried. I would have thought they'd be one of the one of the biggest ones, like just the brand, you know, Star Wars. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I would assume that maybe some people were buying the 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 Star Wars book, mm. which is the one that centers around Han, Luke, and Leia. That's what I'm talking about. But I don't know if too many people are buying like. Um, oh, maybe some people are buying bounty hunters. Okay, here we go. I've I've got it. This unfortunately. These people are jokes, man. This Comic Cron, like this, this is back in October, twenty one. Like, come on, we're in January. Um, all right, so Star Wars Doctor Afra, issue fifteen. Like, does it give me? It, it it has like, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to have numbers next to it about how much they all sell. That's what I want. Jesus, like they make it hard for you. These sites, like you're like. How much is it selling? Well, I think to be fair, I don't think they. I, I think they're trying to. Ah, uh, maybe it's conspiratorial, but I kind of feel like they're hiding a lot of the. But what's the uh, point of doing the numbers if yeah. it's not doing well? Really? Okay. Well, yeah. you know how like um, if something does well, then like mm. Netflix or whatever, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, they'll give you the sales figures. Yeah. But as soon as something's not, then they talk in generalities of like, oh, yeah, it was a top seller or, yeah, it was great. you know, it, it sold more than, and you're like, yeah, but give us, just give us the numbers. Yeah, Everyone it, hides their numbers these days. It sold more than anything ever. How much? 
Uh, we can't answer that question. <laughs> like, it was the biggest selling comic of all time. How much did it sell? Uh, we can't answer that question. Yeah, uh, look, uh, look, I, I, I can't work out from this site, unless I'm stupid, how much... Uh, when we were on it before, I could actually see the numbers. Now I don't see numbers. I just see a whole lot of bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I see everything but a fucking number next to it. So, yeah, we, we, we don't know, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's rankings, so it's all ranked, but it doesn't give... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't give uh, actual. We're not characterizing order levels at this time. Ranked comics will be separated by thousands of copies or as little as one issue. Rankings are most reliable for regular series issue in the middle of the charts. Orders for the highest sellers and first issues may tend to show variation. What? So they're ranking the comics, but they're not giving. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're ranking the comics, but they're yeah. not giving sales. Numbers. Well, it, it's funny because if you go back, you mm. can actually see numbers for like from 1979 mm. all the way through to like, I think 1985. Well, as little as a couple of months before this, we, we did pluck out some numbers. So they've just stopped doing it, mm. um, which tells me that maybe the numbers are way down and they just, uh, they've been told like, don't, don't report on the numbers now, you know? Yeah. As I said, I do know of a couple of people that are still interested in the star Wars and the, the Barney Hunter uh, ones, but no one is really reading the, like the high Republic and, mm. And, all and, and again, they keep telling me that Dr. Afri is this amazing book and it's super popular and all that. But again, I can't. It's ranked. Dr. Afri here is ranked number 20. Star Wars Bounty Hunters is ranked number 13. Um, Star Wars Darth Vader is ranked 38. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're around here, but it's nothing fantastic. Uh, anyway, moving on. Like, whatever, you know. But I, I, I sort of like... I've not read a ton, ton of the Star Wars stuff, but compared to the Dark Horse that I've read, in general, is a lot better than the Marvel stuff that that I, you know, Marvel post Disney acquiring Star Wars. Um, I've read quite a bit of that Star Wars stuff they've done, and outside of the original Darth Vader series by Kieran Gillen, none of it have I loved. I really enjoyed that Darth Vader series. I've got two hard covers of it, but. Uh, I, the other stuff I just dropped off due to absolute lack of interest. And Chucky Soul has been absolutely woeful as far as I'm concerned. Well, look, as I said, to me, I, I think it speaks volumes mm. that no what, what did you say? series out there. I, I, th I, fi I find it quite damning mm. that there's no comic book series out there of the new trilogy. Yes, yes. Good point. You know, like when the first um, uh, Star Wars movie came out, Marvel was already making comics after that. They were, yep. Right, and there was always comics in between those movies, but it looks like Marvel is only interested in either the High Republic or the actual Rebel era comics. They're not actually doing anything about the new sequel trilogy, which I just find fascinating. Well, I mean, I'd say there is reasons for that. One of one is that it was a mess storytelling wise, but the other is they just don't. They're told by Disney stay away because we we don't we don't want that area exploited. We want to we want to exploit that eventually ourselves. We, you know we we don't want to be tied into it. Not that the funny thing is not that they would be as if as if Disney wouldn't retcon the fuck out of whatever they wanted for a movie. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, you know. but the funny thing is when the first movie came out, the first sequel movie, mm. they did have a couple of comics. Like there was a Poe Dameron series. There was, yeah. There was. 
But what I'm saying is that, like, since the other two movies have come out, there's just no tie-in books, really, like ongoing tie-in series or even miniseries. There's just nothing. Is that? Do you think that's because of what I said, though? That, like, combined with lack of interest, but, like, pro- Disney saying just stay away from it, we want to exploit it ourselves? Eventually, in TV and you know movie form. Yeah, or or maybe they're just saying stay away from it because we have no idea what we're doing with it. <laughs> well, that as well. Like, yeah. Well, they clearly don't. Like, I mean, one thing I walked away from after those three movies, like forget about the quality of the movies or any or the acting, any forget about any of that. I, I walked away thinking they have no idea about the story. Like I, I I actually have walked away from the last movie more confused and more apathetic about Star Wars than I've ever been. I was like, I don't even understand what I just saw. <laughs> like, it didn't make yeah. a lick of sense. And you know what? I, I sort of shrugged in the middle of the movie and thought, you know what? I don't even... I, they've hit, I don't care. That's what. That's what's happened. They've just hit my I don't care sort of thing. It's kind of like when a show goes too long and it runs out of mm. gas. What do they say? It jumps the shark. And, and you, know, you know, it happens to shows. And it's just like they battle on for a season and it's like they've given up, you know? Mm. And... and it just felt like they didn't, and there are a million reasons for it. Like, but at the end of the day, it just didn't tell a clear story. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I would have thought if you were doing it, that it would have made sense to have something out there. And I don't think that I, honestly, and I don't think any 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 of those new characters were so legendary that you that you couldn't just write over them in a next movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... I, I think you could pick up Star Wars, you know, 10, 20 years after the events of whatever the last film was called, Rise of Skywalker, and almost completely not worry about the characters that went before and just... Start, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure, yeah. You know. I, 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 yeah, I mean, look, everything, even anything bad's going to have its fans, but, yeah, I don't think that those characters in those movies have had any real cultural impact no, and, you know, um, like they just you know, and and again, as I said, for every, even I wasn't like a a, um, a massive massive fan of the 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 prequels. Mm. Like I enjoyed them, but I I kind of felt they could have been a bit better. But one thing I'll say from it, it created a ton of fan favorite characters. Hell yeah, that have that have just become you know favorites and have stood the test of time. I just don't see it with the new sequel trilogy. I don't think any of those characters can hold a candle to the other six movies in terms of relevance, interest, um, well, I, I, yeah, popularity, I like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that could almost, like, weirdly, it could almost be to Disney's benefit that once they, I mean, they're, they're, they're busy right now in a fucking, you know, just... They're, they're loving life just after Return of the Jedi. They're just spinning all this shit out, in, you know, post-Return of the Jedi, spamming us with that. Seem perfectly content. One day, they'll probably go, okay, well, we'll, um, we'll kickstart it again. And the fact that the previous stuff didn't really sort of pan out, we can almost just start again. And, well, as I said, I, I kind of feel the smartest thing for them to do would, would have almost done something similar to, like, um, this High Republic um, yeah. thing, is that I would have... I would have not tied my Disney Star Wars much to the original stuff. Yeah. I would have maybe gone a thousand years in the future or a few hundred years in the future. Yep. 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 Where you can change, you, you know, the, enough shit has happened that even you could turn around and say a lot of that legend stuff, people can still kind of count it as canon. 
or you know it, it, it can still be relevant in a sense we're not going to touch it mm. or make reference to it but you you could pretend that it still happened and we're going to create a whole new era yeah and new characters and a new um dichotomy and all that sort of stuff and this is the start of the disney star wars yeah Sure. And we're, we're going to take it on our own path and all that. But instead, they wanted to attach it to the original stuff. And by doing that, I think they've completely fucked the, 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 the original movies. Mm. I mean, they haven't really damaged the original movies. The original movies. Well, no, that, no. Yeah. What I mean with they've damaged is that if that's all canon now and it's attached, then that means that is what happens to Luke, Han, and Leia. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that's what I mean by damage. It's damage the journey of those characters. Yeah, it sort of tarnishes the brand, in, yeah. in a weird, which is a weird thing to happen for movies that made so much money. But Yeah, and that way, if your Disney, if your Disney one is a flop, it doesn't affect the, the original. Mm. You know, yeah. it's not tied to that. It's not anchored to that. You haven't put this weight around you. But uh, again, they wanted to have their cake and eat it, so now they... Well, they wanted to make a, have a movie that made, you know, X many billion dollars and everyone cared about, which was Force Awakens. Like, when Force Awakens came out, it was so big. And that's what they wanted. The problem was they didn't have a second act. You know, they were just like, oh, shit, that, you know, what now? Um, <laughs> good question. <laughs> it's a question they still seem to be asking themselves. Well, also, no, but also I think the biggest problem is is you would think that they would learn from um, George Lucas and also Kevin Feige is mm-hmm. that you need someone who is um, uh, in charge of the story and connecting the dots. You can't just go, all right, JJ, you write the first movie. Okay, Ryan, you write the second movie. Because then you're going to get different. Oh, that was a disaster, yeah. That was you're going to get different. Disaster. And again, then you go stepping on each other's toes or retconning each other and all that sort of crap. And JJ, because... famous for answering, asking sort of question marks without answers or at least good answers. Yeah. I mean, that's his and, style. And, you know? and they need it because, I mean, at least George Lucas, like he didn't have a full plan for the second movie. Mm. He, he wrote it kind of and, and made changes after the first movie. But because he wrote the first movie, mm. he knows the direction he wants to take the second movie. Oh, sure. And the third movie and so yeah. on. And so except with Kevin Feige, you know, with Kevin Feige there. And I know some people say, oh, but that's Kathleen Kennedy. Well, then she's not really good at her job. 100%. Because Feige is, is a lot more hands-on yeah. than I think Kathleen Kennedy is. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a topic. In, in terms of story, story, I mean, in terms of like yeah. working out character arcs, stories, I think he's he's there to give input and and decide how he wants it all connected. Mm. Well, I think the evidence has shown that when it comes to actually the creative side with Star Wars, she's absolutely clueless. Like she she's the kind of person who thinks, and it can work in management. You, she, I'll, I'll I'll hire good people is what she thinks, and she hired them. But the problem, it, her problem was continuity like you said she didn't hire someone to do three movies which would have been the right idea she hired jj well, yeah, to you come can on. get different directors but you should have had one constant writer on all three yeah i agree totally agree but you instead you've got and, an incoherent yeah. kind of incoherent kind of mess uh which you know will leave there because i mean let's face it it is a train wreck and that's why mm. disney have walked away from it and a, and a busy plundering the post return of the jedi world at the moment um, oh yeah, well, especially if you look at every, almost every single Disney Plus show, mm. it, uh, uh, pretty much all of them are taking place in that Mandalorian time frame. That five years after, except for, I know they're going to do a High Republic one, but I mean, 
if you look at all the shows for Disney Plus in Star Wars, they all taking place in that five year after Return of the Jedi period, pretty much. And frankly, as a teenager, you know, that's exactly the period I wanted them to be doing shit back in the day. And I used to think to myself, why isn't there a Star Wars TV show? Why isn't... I, I remember these conversations in the 90s. Why isn't there a Star Wars TV show? Why isn't there Star Wars movies? This is pre-prequels. Mm. You know, mining that area. Uh, and then, of course, there were reasons for that. But what they're doing now is exact... Like, maybe not the actual output, but the, but the idea of what they're doing, drilling into that period, is exactly what I wanted you know, back in the day. And and I'm kind of happy with it now, but I'm not, you know. I, 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 it is a shame that they have these other movies that take place 20 years after that are such a fucking mess. Um, the, as far as I'm concerned, I've kind of, I'm almost forgetting them, you know. That, mm. They were so inconsequential story-wise that I'm sort of like, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even really understand what the, the whole point of the films was. But anyway, moving aside from that, we've got a couple of notable RIPs this week. And um, Rich, uh, Sidney Poitier, uh, very sad to see him go. I mean, he was of a, a he must have been about 90. Um, a great actor, a legendary actor, uh, huge inspiration uh, in what he did in his career. And uh, I mean, really some iconic performances to Sir With Love, uh, In the Heat of the Night, mm-hmm. In the Heat of the Night. Um, they're the two that come off the top of my head. Um, really, I, I didn't realise this, I was reading his obit, um, he directed Stir Crazy, the movie with Richard Pryor and, uh, yes, yes. Wilder, which I love, I didn't know that he directed that, um, but I mean, I, I've seen To Sir With Love, which I loved, actually, as a kid, and also Heat of the Night, a great film, um, he uh, was a good he actor. Wasn't also the original, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? I think you're right, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, yeah, um, in the 60s, uh, I think, um, was kind of his heyday as a, uh, as, a, as a film star. I definitely remember him being in Sneakers when he was older. Um, yeah, Sneakers, and uh, I think he was in The Jackal as well. Yeah, he was. He was. He was a good actor, man. Like, oh, really, yeah, yeah. Really Solid, good man, solid. And also, and I'm quite sad about this news, Bob Saget died in his sleep. That was more, yeah, that one was the, the probably the shocker because, I mean, both Sidney Poitier and... Um, Betty White, yeah, you know, elderly, sure, uh, pretty much both in their nineties. So you kind of go, oh, you know, that's a shame. But I mean, they had a really good ninety, you know, yeah, plus run. And yeah, Bob Saget, who I think what would it be about sixty? I think he was in his early six. He might have been sixty-one. Yeah, um, I, uh, I loved his show. In a hotel room or something. He just died of a stroke, they think, in his sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, they just think it was a heart attack or a stroke in his sleep. Died peacefully. Um, he was he was all packed, ready to go, and just uh, the 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 maid, um, you know, working the hotel realized he hadn't checked out. They went into the room, and he was just yeah, he dead, and he died in his sleep, and uh, very sad. Uh, I, I I liked him a lot. He was a funny guy, man. Like he had quite a, a dark stand up routine, which I didn't even know about. Um, I knew him from Full House, where I always loved him. Well, that that was what that was what was was so funny about him is that. Everyone knows him as this wholesome yeah. dad from the show, but then when he does his his comedy stuff, mm. it's really it's like filthy and and dark. Um, it's hilarious, you know, and, and almost depraved in a way, which just was such a, a funny sort of 
uh, oh, he was sixty-five, by the way. Sixty-five. Yeah, no, I yeah, I mean, he was good at what he did, man. He was he was a very solid guy in Full House for a lot of years. He was a lot of fun, actually, frankly. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's a big loss to the comedy community, and to R.I.P. to him, and obviously to Sidney Poitier as well, uh, who accomplished so much. Now, um, now, Richard. We always talk about show research, and I sometimes give you things that I know you don't want to watch, and you mm. did Wheel of Time, and you did something else that I can't remember what it was. Boba Fett. <laughs> oh, Boba Fett is not that bad. But, like, there was something else I forced you to watch. But for the show, I sat down, and I by no means needed you to do this because I took one for the team, and I watched Naomi, episode one. Mm. Um and that was purely for show research purposes. And so I can give you a review of Naomi. Firstly, it's not quite as bad as what I expected, but I expected possibly the worst thing I'd ever <laughs> going to watch. I don't know. It's hard to beat Batwoman. It's better than Batwoman, but that, again, is not saying much. I will give you uh, what I think is a balanced review. Look, it is very light, um, very light, it's very sort of airy fairy kind of like glossy in a way. Uh, very similar to Star Girl um, in tone. I mean, this Naomi is just the world's most perfect person, um, uh, and she, the actress is good. Um, the story seems very lightweight, very lightweight. She's a Superman fan who runs a Superman fan site, and she lives in... I thought it was Portland, but it's called, like, not Portlandia, but it's it's Port something. Like, it's, it's kind of like she lives in Portland, where Bendis lives. Um, but it's not called Portland. It's, made, it's a made-up city, I realised when I did some research. It, look, it's not as bad as I expected. I'd probably give it 5.5 out of 10. Um, it's got, like, a little... It, it, she hasn't got a powers yet, um, it has a semi, semi-interesting kind of like mystery angle to it. Um, she's an adopted, which is why she likes Superman because he's adopted too. She's um, uh, not gender fluid, but bisexual leanings at least. Um, you know, she she yeah, she likes everyone. She's nice to everyone. She's perfect, Rich. Like she's the world's nicest person, and she's just really chilled, and she's really happy with herself, and happy with everyone else and just wants to uncover the mystery of if it was Superman or if it was like a... She's a Superman fan, but it feels like Superman... I was unclear. Is Superman a comic book character in the world? Because she's a massive comic book fan. Or is he an actual hero? And she's just a fan of the hero, which is what I thought it was at first. But then I'm like, why is she so sure that it's uh, a stunt when it seemed like... You only see side angles and shots from far away. It seemed like the Tyler, whatever you say his name, Kutchen or whatever the fuck. What's his name, Richard? The guy who plays Superman? It's Tyler something, yeah. Tyler something, yeah. It seems to be that Superman kind of appeared above the town. Look, anyway, it's well, very... I mean, in the comic book, she's in the same world as him. So, I mean, I would assume if you're doing a TV show yeah. and you're making it that Superman is her favourite character, then he is, then she must be sharing a world with Superman. I know, but what's confusing Although is... Although, in this world, yeah. does that mean that Superman has uh, revealed his secret identity? How does she know he's adopted? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. It seems like, when you watched it, it, it seemed like he was a comic book character. And she was just a really big Superman fan. 
I don't know. It was, oh, I don't know. Maybe I've not watched it, so I mean, I, I cannot it, answer. It was all. Although, I, look, in your synopsis, it sounds exactly like Miss Marvel, which is uh, yes, it's like depressing. it's like a um, it's like a combination. She's not quite as irritating as Miss Marvel. She's irritating, but not not on that level. Um, I didn't mind the actress. I thought she did a decent job considering what she's given, which is a painfully sugary kind of fucking story. You know what I mean? Like, this is a real sugary, sweet story we're being fed here. Like, you know, and, and I almost gagged on it, but, like, pure show dedication. I, I burnt through it. And, and shout out to Michael Kellisham. I told him I was reading it, watching it, and he goes, take the gun out of your mouth, Dave. Think, think, think Bronze Age Batman, Bronze Age Batman. Well, can I just say something? You know what really pisses me off is um, I, I hate how these new characters get fast-tracked sure. w- without having to prove themselves first. I mean, oh, yeah. it's taken, what, Stargle 15 years, give or take? Yeah. To, to get a TV show? Oh, yeah. You know, that's the character has been around for 15 years and has been a, uh, a fan favorite. Sure. When you use the term fan favorite, she has been mm. a fan favorite for is sure. you know people who wanted to see more of her and yet all these newer shittier <laughs> characters somehow get fast-tracked to their own and to the justice league yeah you know in, in the comics almost immediately well that's bendis man that's just the bendis contract that naomi got a fast track into the fucking justice League. yeah but i'm sorry someone at dc should have said no bendis your character's not ready for justice league yet they're not yeah. no oh they should have like yeah and i mean she's so devoid of personality in, in that fucking Justice League that I just read with Bendis. Oh, I mean, don't even get me started. So, look, Ines, I want to wrap this up, though, because I did watch it. I will watch another episode uh, out of interest and show loyalty. I will give it another episode. Um, but, yeah, maybe it'll get a bit better. It was okay. Like, I, I saw Entertainment Weekly or something gave it a B-. minus. I'd probably give it a B- minus or a C+. Plus. Um, it's in. It's right around there. It's it, it's sort of like I, I'm sort of more thinking about its target audience and and how they'll latch on, and that's what I'm interested by, because it feels very lightweight with a very sort of thin concept behind it. Because let's face it, there's no classic Naomi stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she, that's yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, she's, she's just fast tracked to success. Well, she's fast tracked, but like she's fast tracked, but like. There's not this great, you know, reservoir of Naomi stories, and you don't watch the. And there's what the, what there's going to be is a bit of a mystery about. She's kind of got a Jessica Jones mystery in a sense, of like how did she get her powers and stuff. But I don't know. Maybe it, it feels like the show's probably a bit better than what Bendis did, frankly. You know, and it's very sort of like it actually. I said to Michael Kellisham, it feels like something made in the '80s, but not as a compliment. You know. Um, <laughs> It felt very kind of dumbed down in every way. It was just sort of very bland TV, frankly. And the the girl playing her actually helped the show, though. I will say that. She did help the show. Um, she was doing a good job with some pretty mediocre material, I would say. So I'm giving it 5.5 out of 10. I will watch another episode, but after... I said to Michelle, I said, are you ready to take a chance? And she said, not really. I said, I said, how about Naomi? And she said, who the fuck is Naomi? And I said, it's Bendis, a new character. She said, and I said, new character. She said, not even slightly interested. Well, I just love that Bendis is so lazy. He's not going to bother coming up with a superhero name. No, he's so lazy. And while we're on the topic of Bendis, I want to do a quick fucking review. I didn't put it in. 
you should thank your lucky stars, Richard, that I didn't put in weekly comics Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes. I would have revolted. Uh, I read this. We're doing it on Legion Outpost, which was we were going to do uh, last night, but we're doing uh, next week. I would say one of the nadias of um, comic book writing, so bad, so bad, so appallingly bad, so not getting any characters. I mean, not great with, with the Legion, but wow, wait till you see Bendis do the Justice League. It's fucking poor. How about this line from Black Adam? Never be, never be in, never forget the awe of being awesome. That's a line from Black Adam, Rich. Wow, you sure yeah. that's? Uh, did he confuse Black Adam and Billy Batson? Yeah, I'm like, wow, what the fuck has happened to Black Adam? Bendis has got his hands on him. He's really fucking. He, he's probably confused the two characters. Yeah, I was. I, just, I mean, I read that and I was like, this sucks. And yeah, I mean, he really doesn't get the Justice League. And Naomi turned up and she's given like one line. She's got nothing at all to offer. Um, but neither does anyone. Like, it's not exclusive to one character. It's Bendis. Really lazy now. Really lazy. Really burnt out, obviously, too. And he just doesn't... He's just... There's one page, which is a double splash page. It's got every character imaginable standing around talking. And you can just tell that he's just... Just give me a group shot, and I'll just dialogue it. And the dialogue is just... It's boring to read. You're reading these panels, and you're thinking, this couldn't get more dull. Um, and I know it's Bender's trying to do what Levitz, etc., did back in the day with the Justice League, uh, Justice Society team-ups, that kind of thing, but my God, they did a lot better. And having read quite a bit of that stuff in recent years, it's so much better than this. And, you know, if you, hey, five people out there, are there five who care about Gold Lantern, excluding Bendis? I don't think so, but, I mean, for some reason, he's given front and centre stage. Another... Shitty Bendis character, Gold Lantern. Um, yeah, well, Bendis is like those um, those people that create those Mary Sue characters. Yeah. When they write, it's I feel like he feels like he's living through those characters, right. like they're his characters, and so he needs to make them the most important. Sure. Or or, or uh, um, uh, almost the face of the book in a way. Oh. You know, I mean, that's why Naomi's in the Justice League. That's why he created this this Gold Lantern because it, it allows, I think, it allows him to to put himself in a sense, yeah, front and center in the book. And when I say I don't mean like him, like thinking he's that character, but it, because that character is associated with him, sure, or tied to him, it, and it a lot of writers do that. Like, like every Batman writer does that with some new fucking sidekick. But I don't know. Yeah, I just, but at least it's a sidekick. Yeah, I just, I just wish oh, he would. <laughs> I just wish he would make um, the character. Well, he can't. Like, this is the thing. Like, he can't make them more interesting because Bendis isn't the writer he was ten years ago. And frankly, ten years ago, he wasn't the writer he was ten years before that. I mean, he's gotten worse and worse and worse. He's gotten lazier and lazier. He's failed upwards. Um, I'm flat out calling him a disgrace. And the sooner he takes his bat and ball and goes to Dark Horse and does whatever independent shit he wants to do, the better. Get him off DC. Get him off Justice League. Get him off Legion. Get the fuck out. There's my response. Yeah, but you know? you know what? I mean, again, he could do much better independently if he's working on his creator-owned stuff because then there's no expectations for the characters. Yeah, do it. There's, no, there's no history it. and law that he can fuck up. Yeah, please do it, Bendis, because 
I, I mean, I, I read the 12 issues of Legion, if we did them on Legion Outpost, and it was, a, it was boring, frankly. The, the, first, the first thing I will say is it was boring. But this Justice League was some of the worst written Justice League I've ever read, and it left me questioning any Bender's product on my shelf. And all my Bender's product is back from his alleged peak, back in Ultimate Spider-Man and New Avengers days. It left me questioning, do I even want to keep this shit on my shelf? Because I, I am so completely 100% over what he is doing. And it was, I mean, it was a chore to read. It felt like it went for 100 pages. It was like 24 pages or whatever it was. It was, it was terrible. And it was unprofessional. Um, yeah, the artwork's good, Rich, but the artist is given nothing. I mean, it's, it's terrible. And um, if that's his idea of a team-up or a versus book, I don't think he... And how about this? Um, I just hope we can stop the darkness before it becomes dot, 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 too great. So it's like, well, thanks, Bendis. Like, yeah, we've read the Great Darkness Saga by Paul Levitz. It blew this shit right out of the fucking park. I mean, the Great Darkness Saga is like a huge monument and you've just given an insect and tried to compare the two. And... I mean, Bendis will tell you, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get on a word balloon and he'll, he'll badger people and say, how it's all sound great. And, you know, people aren't just getting it. Like, you know, this is a guy who lives in his own bubble. He only hears positive. Um, it was terrible and it was embarrassing to read. And I was a former fan. I, I, I'll frankly say this. I was a fan for years of Bendis. I, su- I supported many of Bendis' book. My shelf has got probably, I've probably got 10 hardcovers of Bendis' stuff and, and maybe even more, maybe 20. But the decline in quality over the last 10 years has been enormous. And I'm frankly questioning, was he ever that good? You know? Yeah, I don't think he was. I think he was overhyped. And we all liked it. And it was probably enjoyable for a time. It was a formula. It worked. But unlike some writers, he... I mean, look, he's lasted in that he stayed on the big two. But the success of it, like, as an actual product... I think is really the quality and everything else has just fallen off a cliff. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Anyway, so there was that. Now, so I watched Naomi. Naomi was better by far than any of that. So all I can say is I think that, I think that, I don't know, I don't know what involvement he's got in the show either. That was the other thing I was thinking. I was thinking, because Bendis had all that time where he was trying to develop powers. What kind of development deal does he have with, Naomi, or does he have no? Because I noticed Ava Duvernay was a showrunner. It said created by te- created for television by Ava Duvernay and someone else. Um, uh, well, put it this way, I'm sure um, to get some brownie points, he stepped aside. Why? Why would he stand aside? I, I mean, uh, probably because he created a, a, a black female lead, and he probably wanted a woman of color as a showrunner. Sure, sure, but I would have thought he'd still be on as a producer or something. I mean, he's his character. Whether he is or not, I don't know. That's what I was. I was sort of curious to know what he's, he's probably just with. happy to get the royalties. Probably, yeah, probably. Um, anyway, so we'll see what happens. But um, I would, I will watch Naomi episode two. Uh, I will say it's not really a recommend for the show, but it's not. A, it's not. A, it's not. A, I hate the show either. It was five point five out of ten. Uh, and if I was being really generous, I'm thinking of the target market, it's probably a six. 
Now, um, Rich, I know you're a Quantum Leap fan from back in the day, am I right? Of course. And did you know that apparently they're rebooting it? Scott Bacala is not involved yet, but the series will pick up 30 years after Dom Dr. Sam Beckett's last big leap. Michelle is also a big fan of this show. So do you want to give listeners give listeners the 10-cent the, the pitch on what Quantum Leap was, Rich? Because I never really watched it. Um, okay, so basically it's um, in the future uh, during a, a – a, I think it's a government uh, time travel experiment, right? Mm. Um, uh, Sam Beckett, the character played by um, Scott Bakula, um, he kind of like tests the machine – uh, uh, and he goes into it, and it basically sends him back in time, but it, uh, it's more like it sends his essence. Mm. No, no, sorry, not his essence. He replaces someone in time, and their bodies go to the future, and usually the people in the future government kind of keep them on ice, and he can't leap out of that time period until he has fixed something or, or, or rectified something that has happened at that time frame so he basically has to and now for some reason everyone i can't remember the exact reasons i don't know if it's technology from the future but everyone sees him as the person who is replaced yeah he i mean wow i didn't know any of that i what i remember is that each episode it's very episodic uh he jumps into different periods in time like i remember there was many episodes like in the 60s with kennedy or something and he'd jump in to be say for example bobby kennedy and even though you see Scott Buckler running around, the 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 show you know characters around him are seeing Bob, Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, they right? they see the person that he's replaced. Yeah. But so but you as the viewer see Scott Buckler, yeah, correct. Right, yeah, okay. And he's got like a buddy, doesn't he, or something? I remember some sort of. So he has a, a guy from the future who basically is a hologram. Right. Um, that's uh, uh, played by uh, Dean Stockwell. Uh, I believe the character's name was Al. Right. He was an admiral, I think. Okay. Um, a retired admiral, kind of always has a stogie. He always has the cigar. And anyway, only only um, uh, only um, Sam can see him. Right. And so um, he has to try and help him figure out what he needs to do. Oh, I see. Um, to be because he's trying to leap back to his own time, but he oh. that, that's why he's, he's leaping into different time periods, uh, and he's oh. got to try and fix things because he's try, he's trying to leap his way back. But oh, it's, I it's never knew what like he's, he's doing. doing it step by step. Right. See, I, I'll be honest. I, I I only ever saw probably four episodes, and I was really stoned when I saw them. And and I, I know, and I famously don't like Scott Buckler. I've never liked him. So How dare you? I, so, yeah. So I was. I was one of those guys. I, well, you know what I did during episodes? I made cynical comments all episode, and um, and would piss off people who were fans of Quantum Leap. We can't be friends anymore. Yeah, well, hey, it's me. You know me, and especially back then. I mean, well, and now, you know, I like to watch the world. Burn. <laughs> I like to watch the world burn. You know that. And um, if it's burning, you know, and Rome's burning, you know, I'm playing the fiddle. And yeah, so I didn't know that. I I always actually never knew what he was doing. Like. And so is there, is it one of those shows? Because it was kind of comedic, wasn't it, from memory? Wasn't it kind of comedic? Oh, it, 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 it was a, a, a bit all over the place. Yeah. So some episodes could be more comedic. Some episodes were more um, uh, nail biters. Some were more uh, drama. Uh, right. It just depends on, uh, 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 that's the beauty of putting him in a different situation every week, mm. is that 
some situations could be more comical, some could be more dangerous, some could be more yeah, dramatic. Yeah. It's a bit like... Like, um, and sh- you can have more yeah. fun. It, look, it's a good concept for a show. I, like, it's a bit like... Um, I like Sliders. I was a big Sliders fan back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fun show that was sort of... not. Not the same, but similar. And it was a similar kind of fan base. You know, it was that kind of like nineties low budget sci fi audience. You know, a lot of mm. lot of lot of stoners basically. By the way, there was a very young Jennifer Aniston in one of the episodes. Really? Of what? Of Quantum Leap. Wow. Ah, oh, didn't know that. So pre friends. Yeah. So um, I've got a question for you. So 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 Rich, here's my question. Could he go? Back and really far back, like back to like the dinosaurs, or back to like ancient Rome. Like, how far back do you remember? No, no. I mean, obviously, the show had a budget, um, so, so he how... pretty much only went back to like the nineteen forties, fifties kind of thing. But again, his his future, I think, was supposed to be in like obviously the two thousands or right something like that. Because you know, obviously, people had a very odd view of what life would be like in the two thousands. And did it? <laughs> Did it wrap up or was it just cancelled and like they never made it home or whatever? Like, did it have an end? I don't think it did. Um, yeah. Maybe it, you know what? It's been such a long time since I've actually uh, I watched it. I don't actually remember how it ends now. Michelle's a big fan of it and she was really happy to hear that they're rebooting. Are you Are you on board for a reboot? If um, Well, this doesn't sound like a reboot. This sounds like a sequel, which I'm not down for. You're not down for a sequel? I thought you'd be all over it. No, I, I wouldn't mind a reboot. Um, okay. And what I would uh, what I would love to see is I'd actually love to see Scott Buckler take the place of Dean Stockwell as as the character Al as the hologram. Right. Because Dean Stockwell was the older character, you yeah. know, the retired admiral. Yeah. Who was helping him? So you know, an older Scott Buckler playing the hologram, taking over from Dean Stockwell, and then you get a new actor, and you maybe. Um, uh, you know, redo it because again, uh, more time has passed. You know what I mean? Like, sure, we know more things about the past and and events and stuff. So you could have a little bit more fun with it, and you know, um, and, and and you know what? Maybe you can mix it up because you know you got the budget and the special effects. Maybe you can even have him bouncing around future parts as well, like before, uh, after his time. You know what I mean? Like maybe he winds up in the future and the past, and he's got to try and get back to his. So I've got... You can have a bit more fun with it. So I don't mind a reboot, especially if it's on an older property and you can have, you can do more with it. Uh-huh. I'm okay with that. Now I've got um, apparently in '93, uh, low viewership nearly did it in in after its third season, um, but it lasted until '93. Then the ending. It's got here the the showrunner um, Beliciaro. Someone his name is. He was mapping out Quantum Leap's end. NBC hadn't decided whether to cancel or renew. So he wrote an ending with Beckett, which was Scott Buckler's character, choosing not to return home and instead continuing to jump and write wrongs. I wasn't going to write this easy kind of episode because I didn't think that Quantum Leap is finished, he told the Times in 93. So I wrote a show that gives some of the reasons he's been leaping around, but at the end it's wide open as to what he's going on to next. So, yeah, so that's probably why I don't remember it having an ending because, yeah, yeah he just kept basically keeps on leaping. Sure. Because yeah, I couldn't. I think I'm wrecking my brain again. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember seeing an episode of him, um, you know, finding his way back home, mm. and and it being like, oh, I'm done with it. I just kind of just remember the show like going on. Yeah. D- did you ever watch Sliders? Um, yeah, I, I I did, but you know what? I it 
I don't remember much of it, honestly. I do. I used to watch it because that had uh, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. Um, Jerry, what's it, Connolly? Jerry, Jerry O'Connell. Well, Jerry, yeah, and then it had um, the guy that plays um, the black guy, uh, Gimli. Oh yeah, um, I forget what his name is, but the guy from Indiana Jones and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. and um, I remember it, and they were. I remember that show because they were sliding to different Earths. Yeah, yeah. Parallels was awesome. Yeah, and, and you know, some of them were similar. Some of them were very different. Yeah, I love all them. that sort of stuff. Um, I do remember it, but I, honestly, I don't, rem- like, I don't remember specifics. Yeah, I was a big fan of that show. And again, when I say big fan, I probably watched the first two seasons pretty religiously. And then after that, it was occasional episodes. And I c- caught up with some of it later on on cable. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, it, it got really bad. The final season of Sliders is really bad. Like, Jerry O'Connell leaves, he's replaced by his brother. Just like, it's like, wow. Where's... Well, that's why, in a sense, like, I, I, I don't, I quite like the streaming model, right? In that, I think you can write shows now to end. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, when it's not syndicated TV anymore, so you don't have to, you know, uh, try and get five, six, seven things under your belt of like 22 episodes and keep it going because the, the, the studio needs something, you know, they could take that money and, and make, create a new show. Yeah, but, I, but I, I kind of miss it though. Like all those episodes of Buffy we got, you know, and all those episodes of Xena, I'm glad we got them. We just didn't get 10 episodes a season. You know, no, well, I know, but I mean, you, you remember the old adage, always leave people wanting more. True. You know what I mean? True. And, and the, the, the danger of keep going, yeah. you know, when, when you're running out of ideas or you start retreading or recycling, oh, yeah. is, you know, you lose audience. And as I said, you always uh, run the risk of sort of like tainting your legacy. Oh, 100%. Of, you know, of if, if you go out with a bang, um, then, you know, I just think it's more memorable. You leave people wanting more. But it, it, but it has a satisfactory ending. Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, that was the problem with Stargate. You know what I mean? Mm. I felt like Stargate. They wrote an ending, mm. which is why I think it ended at season eight. Mm. But then they decided, no, we want to keep going. And then obviously they replaced. Um, keep milking it. Uh, they replaced uh, Richard Dean Anderson mm. with. Uh, oh, I can't remember the the, the actor's name now. Uh, he's from, He was the actor from Farscape. Right, uh, the main guy there, and they're, but it never had the same, you know. And then they introduced a new baddie, yeah. but you always kind of feel like tough to replace a lead. With like after the Avengers, you've taken to me, you've taken me to such as this high high. It, it's really hard to ask me to come down. Sure, even and, harder in TV. I know on NCIS, one of Michelle's favorite shows, uh, recently. Um, Mark Harmon, who plays Gibbs, uh, left finally. Like I think he's retired. And um, uh, Gary Cole, an actor I absolutely love. And if you're going to pick anyone, I'd probably pick him. Tough job coming in mm. uh, season, God knows how many, probably 20-something. <laughs> but, no, that's a that, – I mean, look, it's a high-paying job. So when I say tough job, I, I mean, that's that's challenging. Replacing a lead on a – it's it's equivalent to play, replacing – Oh, my God, it is actually close to 20 years, 2003. Yeah, would, yeah I thought it would be around there. Um, it's it's similar to replacing Ted Danson on Cheers. You know, mm. if, if they replaced Ted Danson, Sam Malone on Cheers, and just said, you know, you can replace Coach because he died with Woody, you, you know, but the problem... Well, the, you, you know, can always replace the side characters. Yeah, some. Yeah, but... no matter... And, and even if people, like, really love them, you can still do it. It's just that you can't replace the main... If you're replacing the main... And let's be honest, Richard Dean Anderson was the main actor. Sure. 
of uh, of Stargate, and yeah, sure. um, you know, um, sure. there was. You know, he was uh, he was excellent. Like, I don't know. I just, but but it's interesting. Uh, Gary, Mark, Car- Mark Harmon, Mark Harmon. You know, he's the main character. Yeah. And I kind of felt like it, yeah, Jerry O'Connell, uh, he was also the main character of Sliders. Once you're replacing your main actor, the main focus point, it's really hard to it's tough. To, 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 to recapture that magic or, or, or to keep people's interest, unfortunately. I will that's say kind this. Of what they identify with. I will say this. Gary Cole is probably one of the only guys, I reckon, who stands oh, a no, chance. Oh, no, Gary Cole's fantastic. He's, uh, he's really good. Like, he's really he's good. In. I've always liked him in everything. And I... And I mean, look, the franchise is strong, very strong. Um, so you know, but we, it'll be interesting. And I dare say they'll probably yeah, have I, Gibbs come I, back. Speaking and do of it. Gary Cole, I was enjoying him in the episodes of Chuck that he was in. Yeah, I tell you, a great Gary Cole show. That I mean, American Gothic was one, but I tell you, and he, he, Gary Cole in Office Space, one of the best performances. <laughs> like it's just so good. But I tell you, a really good Gary Cole show. Midnight Caller from the late, mm. uh, I want to say early 90s. It's where I've, I'd never even heard of this guy. I watched that show late at night, and I honestly thought it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in terms of, like, late-night TV. I, that hit the spot for me, that show. I thought that was a great show. Gary Cole is so good mm. that even in a small part, like Dodgeball, yes. he literally steals the movie does he's he's in some entourage as well he's in a lot of stuff yeah. Gary Cole like frankly yeah no he's yeah he's a he's a he's a hard-working actor but he's really good yeah he's excellent so yeah no I, I I always like to see him when he turns up because I just feel I always feel like he's the guy they often turn to and I guess I am happy to see him in NCIS because it's such a big role you know and it almost feels like mm. that's Kind of like his whole career, he's kind of been so good, and I almost think he was, also, he was also fantastic in the Brady Bunch movies. He was great in the Brady Bunch movies, and in one of the first episodes of his NCIS, he has an in joke about the Brady Bunch. Actually, um, kind of a throwback joke to <laughs> you know he was he was incredible in the Brady Bunch movies. Um, I, I love those films. Um, yeah, he's he's a very very good actor. I've, oh, you, you'll get a, you'll get a kick out of this. I don't know if you remember this, but he actually played the Spectre in I, one of those really? DC showcase. The short, you know, those short things that they used to put wow. at the end of yes. uh, movies. They had like the Jonah Hex one. They had the Green Arrow one. I was a big fan. And of they it. had the Spectre one, and he played uh, Jim Corrigan in the Spectre. I did not know or that. He voiced him. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he gets around, doesn't he? Um, mm. Now, moving on from the Gary Cole fan club reunion we're having. Um, <laughs> it's an easy club to be in. It is. Warner Brothers and Viacom CBS, uh, as we know, exploring the potential sale of the CW. We covered this last show. A bidding war for the CW took an unexpected turn when TV giant Nexstar placed the highest offer, which, if successful, could clean the network's original programming roster because Nexstar's revenue largely rotates around pricey political advertisements. The company's commercial decisions mostly aim to create ample airtime for future election years. Uh, for this reason, Nexstar's bid for a majority stake in the CWM mean additional or replacement news programming in the network's lineup. According to uh, a source at News Nation, the potential deal had Nexstar executives salivating over the prospect of news hours, political adverts and issue ads placed on the CW's scheduling and apparently... They're looking to outsource 
the TV production. So they would probably not do the in-house production of all the CW shows like the likes of Riverdale, Flash, Batwoman, fucking Naomi, fucking Legends of Tomorrow, all the CW stuff um, potentially could be gutted uh, with this sale, which, you know, almost makes you think, why are they buying it? Well, the reason they're buying it is to have a channel, I guess, to promote all their political stuff. So, interesting. Turn it more into a news channel, uh, you know, uh, and a news, uh, news I mean, advertisement. It, this probably would have said in me six years ago, but I I'm don't really sad. care I'm today. So. I couldn't give a shit. I'm not sad at all. Like, if every single one of those CW shows got cancelled tomorrow, I couldn't care less, basically. You know, uh, look, I yeah, feel no, so. I, look, I know, mean, I know. If this was six years ago, yeah. just legends, I might be a bit sad, but I don't care about the current lineup. No. And uh, look, one part of me feels bad for all the fans because there are fans out there of it. But I, I you know, I, I don't think they're in such great shape either, those shows. I think all those shows are on the decline too. I think they've kind of had their peak, you know. I think mm. their moment may have come and gone a little bit, so that they they may all be in their last two years of being on TV anyway. Like I don't know how much longer can you keep the Flash going, you know? Like really, and fucking you know, Legends. The tomorrow. answer is too long. Yeah, way too long, way too long. Um, but anyway, that's 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 the news. Now we had um, actually, I've got a topic for you, Ray and myself are trying to work out this hero now, Richard. It's it, it is Marvel or DC. Um, I think it's a Marvel hero. Now, I, I I don't think you and I. So I'll give you the concept of the hero. Basically, he um, he's a normal person. Okay, I I want to say I think if I'm if I, my memory is vague, but I think he's black, and he comes across a dead body like in armor or something. So he either witnesses someone getting killed um, in armor, like in a super battle fight. Or he comes across the body. He goes to the body, opens up like the you know visor, and it's him older, and he then gets the armor, and he's the hero. Now, do you have any knowledge of who that hero might be? It's definitely Marvel or DC, and I'm thinking Marvel. Um, and I think it's a '90s hero that they tried to redo well a few years ago when Stuart and I did an issue of it. Does that ring any bells with you? And I thought, because Ray was saying he was trying to get a, like, Dark Hawk uh, comic from Kings, and I said, maybe that's this guy that, 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 that seems to ring a bell. Does, is what I'm saying ringing any kind of a bell in you as a comics fan? No. No. No, it's, it's a very minor character, but but where Ray and I are trying to work out, you know, my, my memory, I mean... I don't know, I mean, that almost sounds like a Kang thing. It's definitely not Kang. I think when you're talking about, oh, like he gets his armor, like the only thing I can think of is Kang. I can't think of a hero who's... He's a vigilante. I can't think of a hero who's thought like that. He's a vigilante. He's a, he's almost like a cookie-cutter 90s vigilante. You know what I mean? Um, mm. In kind of like... No, honestly, that armor. does not ring a bell for me. Well, you know, this is where myself and um, and Ray are right now. We're, we're, we're stuck there. You know, with our thumb for ass, trying to work that out. <laughs> now, Michael Kellersham has been on absolute fire, and I'm going to say shout out to Michael, who he he's one of the most consistent emailers in Signal history. And I got to say, Michael puts time into these emails 
sometimes more time than I put into my responses. And I just want to say, Michael, I appreciate your contributions heavily. Now, he said to me, he was talking about Alan Moore at Supreme, which I was talking about last show, if, Rich, if you remember. Mm. Uh, he said, Lois, my take on Alan Moore's Supreme, 10 out of 10, I was lucky enough to buy the two trades, $5 each, now sell for $50 each, and rate them as some of the best Superman stories out there. Um, what? And he talks about Moore did a three-issue event comic called Judgment Day, which ties in with Supreme and the Extreme characters, which is interesting. Now, he says, my take for the show... This shows the power of the brand name. These are out of print, he's talking about Supreme, and selling for big dollar amounts. If the cover had Superman on the front, DC would never let them go out of print and you could pick them up at any bookstore. This shows you just how hard it is for a non-Marvel or DC superhero comic to succeed. It does not matter what quality of art or writing a comic has. If it's not the same safe, familiar brand name hero, it goes out of print and fades from collective memory. How sad is it you could go to a bookstore and find plenty of Marioko Tamaki and Jason Aaron garbage. He hates Jason Aaron. Um, And, you know, I'm opposite opinion, but he hates Jason Aaron. But these may never be on the shelf again. He's talking about Supreme. Sad. And I agree with him. Like, uh, you know. Well, the the problem is that it it, it is sad, but the problem is is that the reason that... So... You can be successful mm-hmm. being like independent or smaller. You just might not have the longevity sure. because uh, the cost money to re- to keep reprinting things. Now, the bigger companies, your Marvels, your DCs, they can keep that stuff in circulation because um, they've got the money to print it. And but I promise you, like they would sell Supreme, mm. they reprint Supreme even a couple of years. It would sell. I mean, the fact that something you bought for five dollars can now go for, you know. I mean, the fact that you can buy it for five dollars and then flip it for fifty, mm. uh, certainly shows that there is a demand um, for that character from from the established fan base. But you know, are always looking for new new things to read. Yeah. So, Rich, I know it came out. Supreme came out via Image. So, do you think that has some impact on the reprint situation? Well, more than likely, because obviously Image doesn't really own the, mm. the characters mm. um, uh, that they uh, publish. So, you know, there could be just something... Because, again, Image isn't really known for doing reprints, you know what I mean? No. Like, uh, they've got a lot of successful stuff, but they never there's never any, like, reprints or Walking special Dead. editions and stuff. And, and it might just have something to do... Yeah, but I think that is more... Um, Current. Uh, uh, oh, shit, what's the guy's name? Uh, Kirkman. Yeah, I think that's more Kirkman doing that. Um, you know, uh, maybe bankrolling or, or or doing a deal. Maybe Liefeld just isn't interested in doing that. Yeah. It just feels like... That's what it's, it's just different because, you know, Marvel, DC, they own everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they, 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 they They've got it there. They've got the originals. They can reprint it as much as they like. It, it might just be something to do with image that... Um, I think you're right. I think you're... I think you're right, Rich. I mean, it's just an interesting... Look, you know, I, I wish they put it out in a hardcover, um, the story of the year and all this kind of stuff, because it's so good, and I would 100% get it, and maybe one day they will put it out. But right now, it feels like it's 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 a, it's such a classic. When I'm reading it right now, I'm going, this is some of the best stuff that I've read. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, Rich, um, I wanted to get your reaction. Have you watched Spider-Man No Way Home yet? Have you caught it? 
not again, not yet. I've been working six days a week, yeah, so fair. I have okay. not had the time to go and see it. No, fair enough. Well, but I just wanted there's there's a scene in it when uh, spoilers, you know, for a fucking movie that's been out two weeks and dissected, or th- probably a month now, dissected to high heaven. But there's a scene in it where Andrew Garfield turns around to uh, the other two Spider Men, Tom Holland and uh, Tom McGuire, and says, "I love you guys." Now, um, that was apparently that endearing line was apparently improvised, Rich. So what do you say to that? <laughs> what do you want me to I would have loved it if he'd said, I love the cash, because that's almost more true. You know, geez, I love the cash that comes with this gig. <laughs> like this, the, the, How much do you reckon they paid him to turn up? Five to ten mil? No more than that, I'd say. Oh, I've, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what Garfield is worth. Yeah, yeah, well... I mean, I imagine they would have set their prices fairly high to come back. I would have. Like, you know, they're going for a reunion. They're going to need you. So you're going to set your price fairly high. I mean, Maguire's career's kind of stalled. Um, and Garfield has got a career still, but it's not. Red yeah, on. but I mean, Maguire, uh, T- Toby's like the oldest of them. He's been around longer. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, when you get older, your career does tend to... I mean, unless you're a big-name star. Yeah. Your your star does tend to wane when you get a ball. That's true. You lose the looks, Rich. You lose the puppy face. You know what I'm saying? The puppy eyes. Um, yeah. Now uh, turning to our new <laughs> our new segment, which I'm very fond of calling Fett a thon. Yeah, Rich. I've just got to say that this Boba Fett in the book of Boba Fett episode three is the most cuddly, most friendly, most nice version I could ever imagine. Boba Fett being, and none of that is a compliment. You know, <laughs> like yeah, Boba Fett was always a badass, and his whole reputation and popularity was that. For some reason, which I struggle to understand, they've just gone so far away from that that I I don't recognise this character, and I'm puzzled because I want to like the show. I do like bits of the show, but the core of the show, Boba Fett with his little assistant um, is starting to annoy me. And I'm like, this Boba Fett is a pussy compared to the original Boba Fett, who would have probably just blasted him. Um, what's, your, what's your take on it, Rich, uh, considering you know what I've just said about Boba Fett? Well, I mean, look, I said this last week and it hasn't changed this week. This is not the Boba Fett show I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Like, it's... uh, He's just so much better in Legends. Like, this... I'm not... As I said, I'm... I'm not interested in a Boba Fett redemption arc. No. I'm I'm interested in Boba Fett the badass. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm, I'm interested in the Boba Fett who doesn't take no shit Mm. from, from nobody, gets the job done. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. this is a show where he's getting his ass handed to him by no-name random sand woman. You know, he's he's kind of been shown up by these other people. You know, he's mm. been taken by surprise by a Wookiee, you know, while he's in... And I don't understand why he's continuing to get back to Tank. Because like, of his injuries. Why? Because yeah, of What are you saying about a back to Tank? What's, what, what's the problem with a back to Tank? I think maybe one time, but he's mm. always in there. Mm. It's just ridiculous. It makes him look weak. Mm. 
It's an you know, yeah. and, and then he's got to get saved by the Power Rangers, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, I don't yeah. know. It's, it, again, this is just this is not the Boba Fett of my of my past. Mine either. The Boba Fett that pulled the gun on uh, on Bosch, the Boba Fett that captured Han Solo, the Boba Fett that was told no disintegrations. Um, this Boba Fett is just an out and out. Pussy from Pussy Town. Um, yeah. Do you know what the Boba Fett from Legends went on to do? I don't know. Be cool. Reform the Mandalorians. Yeah, well, that would be something good. That's way more epic than this man, than this one who wants to be a a lovable crime boss. <laughs> exactly. He wants to be a crime boss, but he's he wants to do it legally. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah, right. it's, it's all this honor crap. Like, look, I mean. Boba Fett like has his own honor system, you know what I mean? And yeah. Sorry, you just cut out there, Rich. What you saying? Boba Fett's got his own honor system. Well, he's doesn't have an honor system, but he has a code: get mm. the job done. If mm. he's paid to do a job, he gets the job done. Yeah, that's his code. Yeah. But uh... and you're right. It's like he's this lovable, nice guy. Doesn't want to hurt anyone. It's just ridiculous, man. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm not. I'm not too impressed with it. And I wasn't impressed with, as you called them, the Power Rangers, the sort of like street gang, the lovable rogue street gang, street urchins who he just kind of recruits just because he's a nice guy. But also on top of that, they're so out of place because like they cyborgs in really nice clothes on Tatooine. Yeah, I know. I know. And they're supposed. They should. To... They should be on Coruscant or something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Or, or, or some other place that's like high in technology. Where do you get these cybernetics on Tatooine? I don't know. I mean, I'm not so much against the cybernetics, but the kind of way that it was like, oh. Yeah, but no, no. But if you're if you're on Tatooine and you're getting cybernetics, you should look a bit more Mad Max. Yeah, true. Because Tatooine's no, kind of like a desert, out, you know, out rim planet. Yeah, and, and probably the the bits you're getting are scavenged. Yeah, scavenged. Yeah, exactly. Scavenged. Like yeah. they just look far too prim and proper with their little bricks. Yeah, and you know, I was just like, it's so out of place. These guys are so out of place. Yeah, no, it's not good. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was a good episode. He got the rancor back. I did like to see the Wookiee again. The Wookiee's cool. I was hoping that he wouldn't be killed, and he wasn't. He kind of gets away scot free. Oh, they're not, they're gonna kill him. He's he. He's like a, he's a bit of a cash cow, isn't he, for for Star Wars and Marvel now? You know, yeah. So the the Wookie Black Kuristan, or however you say his name. Um, I mean, I think he's cool. I think he looks great. He looks bigger than Chewbacca. Um, looks like a fantastic character. And I was worried they'd kill him, Rich. That was my concern. They're not going to kill him because he's popular. It's probably interesting. He's interesting enough, and and uh, he is probably one of the few things that people do like from the comics. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think he's. Cool. But everyone loves Wookies, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. You, you give any Star Wars fan a badass Wookie, and they're happy. Um, totally, totally. I I think he's one of the best things. Maybe the only good thing the comics did, the Marvel comics have done, is is this character. What's he in, by the way? Is he in like Doctor? I know Afra? he was introduced in that Doctor Afra, and apparently the scar on his eye is from Obi Wan Kenobi. Really? Okay. Wow. I or mean, lightsaber. I I don't know. Apparently they're bumped into each other on Tatooine. How the fuck were these kids any match for him? That was what was annoying me. 
these little street urchins. Yeah, well, that's my point. Like, how the fuck does Boba Fett need to be saved by a bunch of, like, four teenagers? I know. I know. It was really pathetic. Yeah, so, Rich, basically when I break it down, I see a very neutered Boba Fett. I see a, a Wookiee that's interesting, um, and he's interesting as much for his mystique as anything, quite similar to the original Boba Fett. Uh, I see a bunch of annoying street urchin kids that he just adopts, just randomly, and I just overall see Boba Fett being way too nice, and it almost feels like Robert Rodriguez, John Favreau, you don't get Boba Fett, or Disney, you do not get Boba Fett. You don't understand what made him popular. How do you feel, Rich? Like I said, I mean, if John Favreau being the writer, I'm actually shocked that this was actually written by him. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, who knows how much studio pushback there was, too, because... I, I get the feeling that maybe Disney have really, really, really said, let's tone it right down for Boba Fett, you know? Well, again, it is a Disney Plus series, so... Yeah, so... And I do want to do a shout-out. If uh, listeners are wondering about the sound quality in this episode, uh, Rich and I have had serious technical issues. So Rich is, is doing a... God's work. He's on his phone, so the 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 audio from his end won't be the normal caliber we get. But it's it's technical issues that are plaguing us. I believe it's to do with the weather. Um, we do struggle sometimes. So, Rich, thank you for putting in the extra effort tonight. It is appreciated. Um, but like, yeah, Boba Fett. I'd have to say right now. I mean, the last night's episode, four out of ten. I, I thought it was very poor, frankly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's yeah, four out of ten seems uh, generous, but fair. Yeah, and I mean, interesting, I will say this, some great visuals, I love it when they flash back when he's in the Buckter Tank to, on the water planet, whatever planet that's called, I'm sure you know what it's called, Rich, um, when he's the young Boba Fett, I loved uh, some, like the Rancor coming, but then it was like, he's cuddling the Rancor and just wants to be his best friend, and again, it's Boba Fett. You know, my problem wouldn't be having this character who loves all these things if it was it's the fact that it's Boba Fett. Boba Fett was a lone gunman, bounty hunter, badass, no attachments. And now it's like Boba Fett, five years later, has just turned into the world's biggest pussy. You know? Um, I mean, there's a reason why in Legends there wasn't any real, like, solo Boba Fett stories or books. It's sure. because they wanted to keep the character's mystique yeah. and only sort of tell bits of his story in... Uh, as maybe a B or a C plot sure. in, in other arcs and stories. Because, again, you, you, you've got to keep a bit of that mystique of the character, you know. Less is, less is more. Yeah. And i tell you who I don't think much of. I like the actress, but the one the actress the, playing his little offsider. What's that character called, Rich? Because I've got to say, it's the most dull character of all time. Uh, her, her character's name is Fennec John. Got to say, I think we could have done without her. You know, like, I really don't think she adds anything to it at all. Like, good actress, but the character is just meaningless. It's well, just like a sort of cipher. Well, what annoys me about that character is that she's basically just there to tell him what to do, which is really annoying. Because it's Boba Fett, he should know what to do. He's been playing the bounty game, dealing with, with uh, 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 you know, crime lords and bosses yeah. his, his whole life. So the yeah. fact that he needs her to tell him what he should do is just ridiculous. Oh, it's crazy. Like, yeah, she's she's like, yeah, he, she really guides him and stuff, but it's like, do we really need this character? 
like it just feels really superfluous and I like that actress you know what I mean I I, I think she's giving uh, a decent performance in a very unchallenging role like I mean it's it's just take the money and run um I gotta say I, I don't know who thought it'd be a great idea to really dull down the edges on Boba Fett but I am not happy about it at all and it just tells me Disney you know this is why Disney want to take over the world and they want to pound everything out with the formula and the formulaic approach and dull everything down and 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 michelle said she said they're trying to cater to every possible quadrant and you know what i said was star wars not popular enough already you know like star wars was pretty popular has, has always been popular yeah it was pretty popular um already i don't think they needed to dull down boba fett to make star wars more popular I, and, I, and I would say this to Head of Disney. You made a mistake. You dulled down one of the coolest characters and you seem kind of clueless. Like, you kind of don't really... If I didn't know this was Boba Fett, I wouldn't pick this being Boba Fett in a million years. And stop taking the helmet off because the only times the show is saved is when he's got the helmet on and actually looks cool. You know? When he takes off the fucking helmet and he's just Mr. Nice Guy again, it's like, what are we doing? You know? Like... Why are we? Why? Why is this Boba Fett? I hate it. The original Boba Fett would kick this guy into the Sarlacc pit himself. You know, um, it's lame. Yeah. It's really lame, dude. And it is. It is a lame um, Boba Fett. And I said that from like the first and second episode. So this, this one just for me just reaffirms. Yeah, this is the one where know, I, what, yeah. what I was been saying. Yeah, you were right, Ray. How does it feel sometimes to just be... You, you're out there on the... You're sort of out there on the bridge yourself and you've spotted it. And I wait until it hits me in the face. But you saw it miles away, didn't you, Rich? Oh, sometimes you just have to be patient and let people catch up. Yeah, I've caught up, Rich. I've caught up. You know what I feel like doing? Sending the original Boba Fett out to kill this pretender Boba Fett. You know, and then I'll be happier. Um, and I'm going to say this. Tomorrow Morrison may be too old for the role. You know? Um... And I yeah, may, and and I'll say this: maybe wrong for the role too, and um, should have been played by someone hungrier, leaner, uh, you know, kind of more moody, um, something. Yeah, and just someone a bit more intimidating as well. I mean, I don't. Again, I like Morrison. You know, he's 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 a good actor and all that, but I just don't find him or this his his portrayal or how they get him to act. I just don't find him. Um, threatening. I don't find him menacing in any way. Yeah. And how about, um, you know, manufactured kind of like grief? The flashback to where he goes to those people who tell him they won't pay him because they're already paying someone else and then he goes back to the same people and they're all dead. You're like, man, this is like one long litany of failure. You know, like, I'm just like, I, I was just like, I don't even think this is particularly good TV. I really, I really dislike this episode, and I'm disliking the way the series is going. I, I am still watching because I like Star Wars, and I do like some of the set pieces um, and stuff. Like I am a Star Wars geek, but I'm a Star Wars geek who's annoyed that you're neutering one of my favorites. You know, and you know what? I'm I can't be the only one, Rich, because I don't think I'm the most critical Star Wars fan out there at all. You know. And I'm, I, when he was cuddling up to the Rancor, I, I started to think, is this the Boba Fett anyone really wanted? <laughs> like, well, here's the thing. I, I, honestly, I don't have a problem with him cuddling the, like, the Rancor, right? Mm. If that was the only time you saw him being 
It's the nice guy. Um, soft or whatever, and that's because it's with like an animal. You know what I mean? Like if he had been like a badass and yeah. hard and like, you know, shooting people down who are disrespecting him, yeah. and then you have this moment of tenderness with, with a so, rancor, with a beast. Yeah. I could kind of be okay, you know, maybe he's got some, you know, uh, you know, maybe something in the past or something, or yeah. you know, he just maybe likes rancors. It'd be fine. But the fact that you've been seeing be Mr. Nice Guy all the way up to this—that's just the bloody nail in the coffin of like, good God, now he's also, um, you know, telling a rancor. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally. Oh, can, can you hear me, Rich? Sorry, I just, I just had yeah, a yeah, yeah. There. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Rich. Um, yeah, it's it's a misstep, and I'm giving it four out of ten uh, this episode. Um, now, Richard, you've got some news here. There's a Bo-Katan Disney Plus series in the works. Was this the character, let me let me try to remember, played by Katie Sackhoff, am I right? Yeah, that is correct. Wow. Now, okay, now, again, my massive lack of knowledge of Legends, but um, remind us again, I know she turned up in Mandalorian and she's a fan favourite. Give us the 10-cent pitch on, on this character again, Rich. She's a character that was introduced in the Clone Wars uh, cartoon show. Uh-huh. Um, uh, she was um, the sister of, um, like, the Queen of Mandalore, mm-hmm. who was a, at one point was a love interest uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. Um, and uh, she's basically been trying to find the Dark Saber to become the leader of the Mandalorians, to become the new Mandalore. Uh, that's basically the ten cent pitch of the character, but I just think it's hilarious that we're going to have three TV shows now centered around uh, essentially Mandalorians. Well, they are popular, but um, so we got the yeah. Man- but again, this is but this is the typical thing of you diluting your thing. Yeah, they're like, oh, Mandalorians are popular. So I can have three, four, five TV shows. Like you're like, come on, guys. Like this, so is such a big world. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like, hey, you like the Mandalorian? Have Boba Fett. And you like Boba Fett? Have fucking Bo-Katan, like... And who the hell was the other character that turned up? There was someone else played by Rosario Dawson who I always get confused with. Who was that? That's, um... um oh, fucking hell, she put me on the spot now. Um, someone else. Uh, Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano. Who's another sort of Clone Wars character, isn't she? Yes, she was introduced in the Clone Wars animated. Right, okay. And you're one of these guys who said the Clone Wars is actually pretty good, aren't you? You know? It's a show that got better as it went on, yes. I, I gotta be honest, like and and this is showing my own snobbery. I've tried the Clone Wars and I try Rebels. Honestly, it's and this sounds awful, but the cartoon aspect kind of it I, I, I struggle to maintain attention for some reason. I don't know why, but I, I, I'm enjoying it and then I suddenly notice I'm not paying attention. I, I find the live action stuff kind of more gets my attention for some reason, and that's probably a failing of me as a viewer, but I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of their animation style. Um, I don't know. It just, it just, it just doesn't grab me. Like, I always want to like it, but I just, I just find it, like, too kiddie, almost, like the animation the, style. True, but that's why I said the Clone Wars does get better, because the Clone Wars, story-wise, mm. it does start off very, like, um, kiddie. It, yeah. it, it's a bit more... Um, almost aimed at children, but as the show goes on, the storytelling actually becomes a bit more serious, a bit more complex, and a bit more darker as well. So 
it, it, it's a show that definitely gets better in the later seasons than the earlier seasons. Cool. Um, and funnily enough, the, the kind of like ironic thing is that surely it all leads up to a very bloody conclusion because just Order 66 comes down. So, you know, it's, it's like at the end of those Clone Wars, I mean, doesn't the Emperor just flip a switch and every single one of the clones just goes nuts? Kills everyone. That's in the the end of the Clone Wars, and they cover it in um, the start of the Bad Batch. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of set for a fairly bloody conclusion, which is I find always quite fascinating. Um, I will say this: there was recently, I think last week, there was a, there was a Comicsology sale on Star Wars product, and I picked up Jimmy Terzis has been telling me to pick up all the M- Empire Legend stuff. It's called the Empire. Um. And I picked up three or four epic collections, which called The Empire, which covers a whole stack of stuff, which I'm pretty confident you would have read, Dark Horse stuff. Because um, they, most of it. yeah. So he said it's really good. So I, I, they had them really cheaply, and I thought, screw it, I'll just pick them up. And I just picked them up, and I thought, yeah, and you know, because I, I want to do that, um, volume two of the uh, Legacy, at some point. I, I reckon that'd be interesting. I'm interested in a lot of Star Wars, but, you know, I just wish Disney would do it a bit better. They just don't, though. They just they just have to make it kind of like... They sort of... They just not dumb it down, but they just take all the edges off it, and it just is really kind of like, meh. You know, it's really sort of like, it's a thing, it's a product, we can sell stuff. Disney's definitely going more for the quantity aspect than the quality <laughs> aspect, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. So, Bo-Katan live-action series, is it, Rich? Yeah. And like, I believe so, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to just have another Mandalorian with a fucking Darksaber. Like, really? Okay. Oh, well, he doesn't have that. The actual... Um, um, the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, the Mandalorian. <laughs> I pay so little attention to the Disney stuff, I'm trying to remember his name now. The Mandalorian. That's his name, isn't it? That's the name of the show. Sure, but that guy, he's got the Darksaber, doesn't he? Because didn't the guy from Breaking Bad have it at one point? Uh, yes, yeah, so he he has it, but at the end of season two of The Mandalorian, he um, he winds up with it. Um, uh, and and uh, so now there's obviously, uh, they reckon there's going to be something happening between him and the Bo-Katan uh, character because she wants it, but apparently she can only get it through like killing him or something like that. So, like she has to, mm-hmm. which I don't quite understand because he didn't kill. Um, um, he, he didn't kill the. Um, what is an admiral, or whatever the hell he was, who had the dark saber. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't kill him to get it, so I don't, I don't understand why she we why she has to kill him to get it. Well, to acquire it, I guess. He's not going to give it to her, you know? Yeah, but then just fight, and you just have to beat him. But apparently, according to him, he says that they, um, <laughs> uh, she has to kill him. Right. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense, because he didn't kill you. I don't know. I don't care either. To own it, so I don't know. So, As I said, I, I don't know if they've... Maybe they haven't really thought that through. I'm not... At the end... I'm not 100 I'm remembering a scene. Oh, Din, Din Jaren, that's his name, Din Jaren. Okay. Jesus Christ, it took me a while to remember that. I'm remembering a scene, Rich, and, and tell me if this is correct. 
There's a scene in The Mandalorian where the guy from Breaking Bad, Giancarlo Esquisito, whatever his name is, he cuts a, a, a spacecraft that comes out. He cuts it with the dark saber and comes out. Is that from The Mandalorian? I have this. Um, I've got his name, Moff Gideon. Um, yeah. He, yeah um, um, at the end of season one, Mandalorian shoots down his TIE fighter. Oh, right. And, uh, and, and you think he, he crashes and dies. And then, sort of like the post-credit scene is, he cuts him. He cuts himself out of the wreckage with the dark saber. Yeah. But at the end of season two, did he die? Did Luke Skywalker kill him? No, no, no. He's um, he's captured by uh, the Mandalorian. Oh, okay. Uh, by by Din Djarin. Uh, and, and so, who has the dark saber? Uh, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. Oh, I see. I see. Right, okay. But uh, that's the thing that uh, Katie Sackhoff, uh, Bo-Katan, has been trying to get, which is introduced. Oh. He, he needs to kill Moff Gideon to get the, the Dark Saber. She says, I have to kill him. Well, why you know, but then the Mandalorian defeats him in combat, doesn't kill him, but now he has ownership. I was like, but you just said you have to kill him. Mm. So I don't know. They, they kind of break in their own rules and logic yeah. in the show. There anyway, was... it's... They're also, breaking my, they're also breaking my interest, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I just feel like, honestly, you know what it's like? It's kind of like the broth or something in soup, and they're just thinning it and thinning it and thinning it. And I'm just like, it's now almost just water. And there's too much of it that's too similar to me. Like, I don't see a lot of difference between Boba Fett, the Mandalorian, and whoever Bo-Katan is. They seem all very similar characters to me. And very similar world. It's almost like they should all be in the same show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like It's kind of like if they did Buffy and go, we're going to do a show with Buffy, and Xander is going to have his own show, and Willow's going to have her own show. And it's like, mm, maybe they should just be in the same show. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I would have had a show called The Mandalorian that deals with all the Mandalorian shit. Mm. You know, with the whole. Ca- and uh, honestly, I would not have done a Boba Fett show, but that's just me. I oh, see. I would have done a Boba Fett show. I just would have done a lot better than this. I think. No, Bob- again, I, it's a character that I would use sparingly sure. when I need cool moments and and cool stuff to happen. I, I definitely would not do an actual Boba Fett show. But would you agree with me, Boba Fett? And the Mandalorian, wherever his name is, they're they're almost exactly the same. <laughs> like, like the, in these shows, they they live by different codes, and that's why I was cool with Boba Fett showing up in the Mandalorian. I was like, oh, cool, Boba Fett shows up, and you know, he can have some moments, and he can look cool, and you kind of find out, oh, okay, he's still alive, you know, all that sort of crap. But um, that's it. As I said, I would have used that character for cool moments, or as part of a show or something, but not an actual show of himself. Like, Yeah, I know. And and we seem to be circling the... the we, we're circling the same fucking conversation, but unfortunately, it's symptomatic of that this is the problem with Disney. Like, I don't think... Like, I'm, I'm starting to really come around to it now. Disney in no way care about quality. Like, it's just not even a consideration for them. Like, they're not even trying... To, to, to do quality they're trying to do adequate they're, they're good at adequate like it, it it's okay you know it's 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 not great but it's like the best we could do at short notice kind of is how you feel with them like i like nothing about disney anymore i used to think disney was sort of a quality product 
you know, successful. They had a lot of good movies, et cetera, et cetera. Now I'm like, they're just mass consumption, very average shows, um, really relying on the brand name and just pump it out there and just content is king all of a sudden now, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, Disney used to be synonymous with quality, you know what I mean? Like, mm. yes, they had some failures or they have some duds, but, I mean, they were fine. Yeah. Whereas now, it's just throw everything at the, and the kitchen sink at the wall and hopefully something will, will, will stick and become popular. Yeah, exactly. Now, Rich, this is my segue into something that's definitely sticking and becoming popular is Manscaped. Our show sponsor, Manscaped, and the Lawnmower 4.0. Um, look, basically, they bring us, they, Manscaped uh, bring us uh, Signal of Doom. And Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming. They're champions of the world, Rich. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Australia and New Zealand. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, Rich. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SIGNAL, S-I-G-N-A-L, at manscaped.com. And I mean, Rich, I've said before, the sex life has taken an improve. It was in a decline. I was in a decade-long slump. You know what I'm saying? And it it was pretty much like, can this... Can this ever get energized again? And it has the 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 shaving has been fantastic. And all I can say is I've got the thumbs up from my partner, and I really recommend to go to manscaped.com, type in signal and get twenty percent off and free shipping. Your balls will thank you. Richard, are you getting similar reports? Have not been in a, a ten-year slump, so uh, no. <laughs> but it is, um, uh, it's it's probably one of the best ones I've I've ever used compared to other shavers. Yeah, well, that's important. That's important. Yeah, I mean, I recommended it. I've I've recommended it to friends. Um, we've had friends and listeners jumping on. And I, and I want to say thank you to those people. And look, you know, girls out there, get it for you, get it for your boyfriends. Seriously, get it for your husbands. Um, uh, you know, it, it's a fantastic product, and um, it helps reduce nicks. The trimmer uh, reduces the risk of ingrown hairs, uh, reduces the risk of grooming accidents, foot odor. Rich, I, I tell you what, I'm shaving my feet now, Rich. I'm shaving my feet, and I've never felt more alive. Seriously, no. I'm a weapon with this thing. You know, I'm a weapon. I'm looking for things to shave now. Um, yeah, so... You've, the, you've, 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 become, you've become quite the gardener. I have become quite the gardener, Richard. And yeah, so yeah, definitely. 20% off world, um, worldwide and free shipping. Uh, go to manscaped.com and use the code SIGNAL, S-I-G-N-A-L. And thank you to our show sponsor. Um, and we are big fans of their product. Now, Richard, as we move on, uh, I have something interesting here, um, and I'm very excited, actually. Denzel Washington is preparing for The Equalizer 3 as his next film. Director Antonio Fuqua is expected to return. I was a big fan of the original two Equalizer movies. Uh, How about you, Rich? Um, Yes, uh, definitely the first one. Uh, The second one was still enjoyable, but I didn't think it was... 
as good as the first, but I would still recommend both of them, yes. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the. Look, honestly, I, I absolutely love these love these movies. And, I mean, don't forget, back in the 80s, the Edward Woodward equaliser had a conversation with Michelle today, and I was talking about Callan. I don't know if you're familiar with Callan, Rich. Have you ever heard of that show? It was a British show with Edward Woodward in the late 60s, early 70s, and he basically played the young version of the equaliser. When they did the equaliser, they were kind of riffing off Callan, like they were taking that character, but he was much older kind of thing. Um, that was kind of the concept. And Michelle's just like, there's no interest. And I go, I said, I said to her, look, you don't even know who Edward Woodward is. So I don't know why we're having this conversation. She's just like... She's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you started this conversation. I, I started it and I'm ending it. And I just said, dismissively, you know, kind of like pretentiously. I said, you don't even know who Edward Woodward is. And I just, with that downward inflection, and I just shut the door. You know, I was like, this conversation is over. We're done. <laughs> yeah, and she's, but she was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, it was another fine moment in, uh, in our career. Now, something I'm very excited by, Richard, Ed Brubaker is joining Batman Caped Crusader the uh, animated new show coming that's supposed to be kind of like almost like a sequel unofficially to the Batman animated series. He joins Bruce Timm, J.J. Abrams, and Matt Reeves in the animated series. I think Ed Brubaker in the corner of this show is a real gift. This guy's worked in Hollywood for years. He was a writer on Westworld. Uh, He had uh, Too Young to Die. Um, He's now got this. I am so excited to have Ed Brubaker, who, by the way... Batman animated series was a massive reason he even got into writing comics and writing Batman comics. So he, I think he's well suited. What do you think, Rich? I hope he still got it. What was that? I hope he still got it. Brubaker. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, when's the last time he's written Batman? Oh, well, he hasn't read Batman for a while because he's been doing all his independent stuff, all, all those reckless books and criminal and everything. I know. That's why I'm saying I hope he's still got it. I hope he can still tap in and, and tell a good Batman story. I'm sure he can, Richard. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit worried that J.J. Abrams is on it. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about that too. Yeah, J.J. is not a plus at all. He's not a, I hope it's one of these things where J.J. is just an exec producer, or you know, one of his billion things he does, that fucking bad robot company, you know? Fingers crossed. Yeah, no, I think Edward Baker will be fantastic. And I was saying this years ago. I said they should do an animated show and get Edward Baker to write it. Uh, like, someone who gets the character, someone who's current, someone who, like, I mean, this guy's had nothing but hits for the last 20 years. He hasn't put a foot wrong. He's been doing his criminal stuff. It's the crime genre. He did all those great Batman stories, all that great Gotham Central. This is a guy who gets it. This is a guy who has Batman in his DNA, and I am so pleased. It's probably, it's probably the most excited I've been for a Batman product in some time, and uh, I think they needed it, and I think they've gone to the right guy, and I and I just think that you know the only way is up because his, his Batman run is fantastic. Ed Brubaker on Batman was absolute gold, and don't get me started on his Catwoman run. We all know what I think of that. It was, it was probably my favorite comics of all time. His Catwoman run, Ed Brubaker's Catwoman run. I mean, I could do I could do hours of analysis about that. You know, it would probably bore everyone to tears. You know, but um, I'd be happy, and I guess that's something important. Now, Rich Michael Lang 
died, the organiser of the Woodstock festivals. I want to talk about his complicated legacy. That's correct. I said a complicated legacy. Are you familiar with this character, Rich? Not really, no. Okay, so he was a long-haired hippie who was one of the guys who uh, was, you know, one of the showrunners of the original Woodstock back in the day. And I mean, he was always a very loose organiser. He's all over the movie, riding on his motorbike with his walkie-talkie, talking about how it's all just going to come together on the day. And, you know, it did come together on the day and the movie popularised and Woodstock, you know, was a generation-defining moment. Flash forward a couple more years, Altamont, the Hells Angels, killing members of the crowd. That was also uh, one of his productions, Rich. You know, and he hopped in a helicopter and got away. The Stones performed. Let's talk about Woodstock 99. There were rapings in the crowd. Another Michael Lang production. People were riding, building fires, you know. Um, there was They were selling water for, for 10 bucks. You know, people were riding, literally toppling, toppling like stage platforms and all this kind of shit was going on. That's Michael Lang. You know, not a man renowned for crowd safety. You know, a guy who profited off the Woodstock name, who only, only two years ago was trying to do another Woodstock thing but couldn't get the permits because of the massive lack of organisation. Are you sensing a pattern, Rich? You know? Yeah, sensing a, a, a definite pattern. There is a pattern. And the guy who played it very loose, very loose, was all about it's all going to work out okay in the day. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. And it's a complicated legacy and I think deserves closer analysis. And even to the end, he was still the huckster to the end, Rich, telling people that they were going to put together this Woodstock thing with very little planning. And people were saying, you don't have the permits. You know, you haven't you haven't got the bands. Bands haven't signed on. Some have, some haven't. All up in the air. And part of the miracle of the original Woodstock is it did happen, you know. And I think that he kept trying to ca- recapture that lightning in a bottle. And I don't think he did it successfully, you know. When people are getting raped in the stage pit, there's a problem, you know? And that happened on his yeah, watch. And yet, oddly enough, everyone always uh, thinks of Woodstock fondly. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the that's called the power of marketing, you know? And um, mm. I'm sure he died a very rich man. And I'm, you know... And oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he died a very rich man, but... Uh, on signal, we like to we like to turn the fucking lights on, don't we? Sometimes we 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 beam the lights right into it all. Well, well, we are called the signal. That's it, Rich. So, yeah. So anyway, interesting times. Uh, but he's passed away. Uh, now Robert Kirkman has been sued over Invincible Profits for the animation series. Uh, Rich apparently uh, not the first time Robert Kirkman's been sued by a co-creator. Uh, he was sued by the co-creator Walking Dead. Uh, I believe it was his name Tony Moore. Um, and now he's been sued by the co-creator of Invincible, who claims that they had a handshake deal for 20% of the profits to go to this guy. Uh, meanwhile, the guy signed over a certificate of authorship or something to Robert Kirkman at 2005 Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con. Uh, Kirkman's saying that he's... And now Kirkman's saying you're not entitled to any more residuals from the show, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy's saying, well you know, we had this deal. And Kirkman's saying no, and everything I paid you since then was a bonus. Those bonuses are now stopping. So the guy's taking him to court. What do you think, Rich? Uh, very sort of like, I'm noticing a pattern with Kirkman. I'm seeing unsatisfied co-creators. Um, 
there? Hang on. If so, if you're stupid enough to to go for handshake deal, yeah, I don't know how much sympathy I have for you because here's the problem with a handshake deal: you could also be lying yourself. That's it. It's easy to claim that you were promised a deal of a handshake if you've got no paperwork to show it. So, I mean, you could always get everything in writing. What what idiot in today's age, you know, goes off a handshake deal? I know, especially when he's signing over the rights. He's signing over the rights, saying that Kirkman's the sole author of Invincible. Suppose and, and, and if, if and if you're supposed to get future uh, uh, royalties or, or or revenues or something, you get that in writing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He seems Jesus, to... like I, <laughs> I almost feel like even if it's true, you only got yourself to blame. <laughs> Robert Crabtree, I believe, is the guy's name. Yeah, I, 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 it puzzles me too. I don't understand. Perhaps Kirkman. We're speculating. Perhaps Kirkman paid him like fifty k. You know, up front, and said, "You sign if you sign this, I'll give you fifty k up front, and you'll get twenty percent in the future." That's the handshake. So the guy actually got something. That wouldn't surprise me, because why would the guy sign it otherwise? Why would you sign away the rights to Invincible? You know. Yeah, but that's my point. Is like, okay, fair enough. You say, "Hey, you sign it over me, you get fifty k." Okay, fair enough. Mm. But if he's promising you something in the future, then you need something to show that when that time comes. Yeah. That you've got something to say, hey, here you go. Here's your signature where you owe me, where you said you were going to give me this. Mm. Like, I, I, I just, I can't believe people still go think that a handshake deal is a thing. Yeah, I know. It's it's bizarre. And if I, I to me, oh, we'll do a handshake deal. I say, no, we won't. I want it in writing. I will get everything in writing before, yeah. uh, before we proceed. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree Richard. It's, it's, it's bizarre frankly, that, that it's got to this state. And who knows? I guess the court's probably what he's hoping is out of court settlement, you know. It's probably what he's hoping. He's, he's hoping that Kirkman will... How does a court prove a handshake deal? You have no paperwork. There could be witnesses. Who knows? There, there, there could be more to it. I guess they'll look at Kirkman's business practices in general. I mean, he had his other co-creators sue him as well. You know, for a I mean, maybe thing. with the success that Kirkman's having, maybe he's hoping that if he makes Kirkman look bad, yeah, Kirkman will just pay him something to yeah. shut him up or get rid of him. Yeah. But, I mean, if it goes to court, it's going to be very hard to prove a handshake deal. True, true. Yeah, indeed. And we'll, we'll keep on, we'll stay on the story, but it, it's another invincible, it's another Kirkman uh, creator deal that's gone sour. And one guy's laughing to the bank, and that's Robert Kirkman. He's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, and oh, but that's the thing, though. But if okay, but here's the thing: if Robin Kirkman has more faith in his stuff, mm. and you know he believes that it can succeed, and he says to a guy, "Hey, I want to buy you out," and that guy doesn't believe, yeah, he probably like, "Yes, yeah, yeah, this thing's not going to be successful to go anywhere." Yeah, give me my fifty thousand or whatever. Yeah, you can have it. This piece shit's not going anywhere. And then it turns out to be a massive success. Mm. You know, it's the same like when um, CD Projekt Red. You know, they wanted to make the Witcher games. They paid the, the writer yeah. for the rights, and he just signed it because he never thought it would be successful. Yeah. He was like, oh, video games, who gives a shit about that? And then it turned out to be a massive hit, and then he decides, oh, no, 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 you owe me more money. Yeah. Because it's popular. So it could also be one of those things where someone did sign off their shit. It could be. And then now, now, now regret it because the thing that they thought wasn't going to be popular turned out to be massively popular. Definitely, definitely. Although he'd be stupid. 
Uh, like, I mean, 2005, was Walking Dead already on air? Why, why would you not kind of, like, given how big Walking Dead was, you know, it was pretty obvious that Kirkman was kind of touching gold, like, at that time. So, let's have a look. Let's 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 go. I'm talking no, about Walking, Walking Dead. No, no, Walking Dead was 2010, the TV show. Right, okay, so that TV show. And, and that was really when mainstream caught on to Walking Dead. I know it was big in comics, but mainstream caught on to Walking yeah. Dead when it became a TV show. Okay, so it's prior to that. So it's it's early, it must have been early on in the piece for Invincible too. Yeah, because I mean he did Invincible um, not too long after he did The Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Well, for a long time it was concurrent, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, you're right. The series yeah, Wa- yeah. Walking Dead premiered on October 31, 2010. So that was five years before that. So anyway, well. We'll have to we'll have to stay on the story, but I find it very interesting, and um, there's probably more to the story than meets the eye than we're hearing right now. Uh, well, as, as I said, it could just be that Kirkman's more savvy and 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 has more faith or can read the market better, mm. uh, and so he took an opportunity or he took a gamble. Yep. The other people didn't have faith, thought they'd get the money now. Yep. And then again, it turns out to be a massive success, and now they feel like they owed more money. It could also be that he. You know, raw to the amount of money. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, uh, it, it's when there's two sides to a story, you you can never really know which side is is true without any evidence. That's true. And as I said, if, if you had it in writing and he was trying to not pay you, well, yeah. th- there you go. We can go. Okay, your story is true. Yep. But if you're saying it's off a handshake deal or a a promise, you can kind of be like, well, I mean, mm. <laughs> uh, okay, but I mean, you, how is that proof that yeah. just because you said it? I know it's it's funny. I tell you, I tell you a funny thing here. Um, I I read that you know that idiot Logan Paul, the YouTuber. I know of him. Yeah, yeah, he's a fucking moron. But anyway, he he bought these first edition Pokemon cards for three point five billion dollars. It turns out they're fake, and they're actually the boxes contain GI Joe collectible cards. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So he's just a moron. Basically, he paid three point five mil. Well, you are a moron if you don't inspect shit before you buy it, especially if you're forking out three point five million. It's supposed to be a collectible. You get it appraised first. Yeah, you well, you verify it before you fucking buy it. Yeah, well, I mean, is. yeah, this guy's an idiot. He's got more money than sense as well. You know, really. Let's face Sadly, it. Sadly, yes. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I really wish. Uh, I can't believe Mayweather didn't just completely. And I wish May. It's the one time I wished Mayweather would just really annihilate someone. Yeah, but, but also, I mean, dude. But uh, I mean, also Mayweather's old man. Yeah, like he can still fight. He's not. Yeah, but he's but he's not in his prime. Is my point. Sure. Like I mean, you bragging that you beat Mayweather at the literal tail end of his career. I don't think that's something to brag about. But, you know what I mean? If you if you beat Mayweather in his prime, then that's like bragging that you beat you know Mike Tyson in his prime. Like, but dude, it's come not on, to say like, when they older men and and not in their prime. I, I'd love for this moron Logan Paul to go up against Tyson right now. I I guarantee you Tyson would annihilate him. I saw how Tyson was hitting in that last fight. He can still hit, you know. Like obviously he's not what he but, was. But, but again, but Tyson's biggest problem has always been stamina, not uh, not power. But do you think... And that, with him being a bit older, he might not have... He might even have less stamina. <laughs> oh, but come on, dude. I saw how fit he was. There's no way that Tyson would annihilate Logan Paul. 
I, no, no, Tyson is a little bit different though because Tyson was a heavyweight. Sure. Mayweather was never a heavyweight. I mean, sure. he was what um, lightweight or yeah uh, or, or, or middleweight. So it's not quite the same thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I just hate Logan Paul with a passion, and I'm glad that he got. Oh, no, look, I would have loved to have seen it as well, but I'm also not going to give you props because you beat a guy. You know what I mean? A guy out of his time. Did he beat him though? Who, 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 Did he? Beat I don't know him? if it was a draw or something. Yeah, it was a bullshit, man. Like, there's no way it was a real fight, you know. Logan. No, it's all publicity anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of where um, Mayweather has been now for about the last five years. Like, it's it, his fights are kind of just bullshit now. They're not real fights, mm. you know. Like, they Floyd Mayweather was dominant, but wasn't able to land a knockout blow on tough YouTube star Logan Paul after their exhibition fight went the distance. It finished without uh, an official result, but Lo- but Paul used his height and weight advantage to give Weymouth more trouble than he was expecting. I mean, really? I, I, I just still can't understand how Logan that's Paul... Point. That's the, but that's why it was such a stupid fight, because one, Mayweather's not in his prime. He's an older guy. Yeah. He's a short, lightweight fighter. Mm. You know, Logan Paul does have the weight and the height on him, and that's why they have divisions in box. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's I, 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 I pray that Logan Paul would would have the balls and stupidity to challenge Mike Tyson, because I guarantee you, Mike Tyson might actually kill him. You know? Oh, I would. I would love him to do it. I, 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 mean, I would. I've look. I'll be honest. I've always kind of enjoyed Mike Tyson's fighting, and I would. I would pay to watch that because I I saw how Tyson hit in that last fight, and he was hitting that guy. He was fighting took some decent blows, man. You know. Um, he didn't go down. That the guy did not go down. I know it was called a draw, but it was a bullshit exhibition fight. But he he was knocking that guy, and I can't see Logan Paul. Logan Paul has a glass jaw, you know, and as most people fucking do, who go into a boxing ring who are not professional fighters, which most people would get annihilated by Mike Tyson. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's very few people in the world. You'd have to be a hardcore professional fighter to stand a chance against Mike Tyson, even right now. Mike Tyson would annihilate Logan Paul, and I would pay to see it. You know, he may kill him. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I pray to Jesus that Logan Paul, who's now out three point five million dollars, thinks he's going to have an easy fight against Mike Tyson. He's going to find Mike Tyson's a very different proposition. You know. Mm. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, but he would never. He's, uh, he's, unfortunately, he's not stupid enough to challenge. No, him. he's not quite. He's just not quite stupid enough. That's the thing. Like he's almost stupid enough, but he's not quite. I, I thought Mayweather was going to do it, but Mayweather's a, he's a clown now. No, you know? I think he's stupid enough to, um, to to want it, but I think he's got smart enough people around him saying, yeah, you don't want it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want it. You want to walk away from that fight. You do, you do not want Mike Tyson coming for you. Because Mike Tyson's a yeah. loose unit. If you're talking trash to Mike Tyson, it may end up very poorly for you. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actor Bill Murray reveals more information about his Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania role clarifying he's not a hero in the film i did not even know he was in the film and uh it's possibly the only good thing i've heard about this film uh, i actually i can't stand ant-man and the and also well, the i mean, really yeah i hope he's the, i hope uh he's the villain like the main villain yeah well he is i think rich <laughs> so you're gonna have well him. he hasn't said i don't know if he's, he hasn't said he's the main villain he just said he's not playing a hero yeah well, I imagine. Because, I mean, don't, okay, so don't forget, in the first Ant-Man movie, obviously you had um, uh, Michael Douglas as uh, Hank Pym. Yep. 
and they had uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, Janet, and obviously they had um, Lawrence Fishburne as uh, Goliath. Yeah, ringing distant bell. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm thinking he's just clarifying, saying, "No, I'm not playing an old hero like that's been established, right? Like uh, you know, a retired hero." But it doesn't necessarily mean that he is the main villain, though. But I hope he is. God, I would love to see um, Bill Murray uh, uh, play a villain in a like in in a, a movie like this. Well, it'd be more interesting than you know anything that Ant Man has ever done. So yeah, um, I said Bill Murray, like he's, yeah. he's fantastic. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean he's actually good. bit of a recluse and difficult to deal with, but fuck, I love watching him in movies. Yeah, I couldn't care less if he's a recluse. I'd be a recluse too if I had to deal with constant Hollywood bullshit. Um, now, some news here. You know I'm always on the alien scene, Rich. China's U-2 rover saw what appeared to be a strange cube-like object on the surface of the moon from afar last month. Now that the rover is closer, Rich, it turns out it's just a rock or a boulder. Um, that, that, that's probably, that, 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 that can, um, you should take that as a lesson, Dave. <laughs> Because that's the ending to most of these alien stories. It's just a rock or it's just a... It's something else. I was convinced that it was some sort of government installation or perhaps alien installation. You recall I was speculating on that, Rich. I thought we may have found the birthing chambers. Uh, I think we're, you know... We're also relying on the Chinese government here for for the facts. And they're not scrupulous when it comes to fact. You know. If they were the first people to discover alien life, the Chinese would let you know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, there was a news item about Obi-Wan and his Ben nickname. I read it, Rich, and I feel dumber for reading it. It basically said, Obi-Wan is like Ben. And I was like, okay, I mean... No, so they said, uh, old Ben is like Obi-Wan. It sounds right. like Obi, which I'm like, okay, sure, if you, <laughs> if, you really need to, if you really need to stretch, if you really need to reach, make sure you, you loosen up, make sure you get limber before you try and reach that hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, Richard, you know I'm a big fan of Dying Light, the video game. Remember that game? I love that game. Um, yeah. Now, the sequel is going to take at least 500 hours to fully complete Dying Light 2 and roughly 70 to 8 hours to finish the main story and all its side quests. Um, what does that mean? Like, they say 500 hours, but then 70 to 80. Like... I don't understand. What's the difference? The main game and all its side quests, that's the game, isn't it, Rich? I don't know. The way that it's written is a bit weird. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that they mean 500 hours to fully complete, as in every single side mission, Yeah. A, a small thing, hidden collectibles, Yeah. Um, all that sort of crap, and then... 70 to 80 hours to finish the main story? And, and not all side quests? No, it says, and all its side quests. I, I but then what's the 500 hours? I don't understand. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. Like, regardless, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, I'm looking very forward to it. And I'm, you know, bring me back to that world. Because that was a world, Rich, that I was living in. Remember the parkour? Remember I was saying to you I thought I could do parkour at that time? <laughs> I, I, I was saying to Michelle, I was looking at buildings going, I could scale that. She's like, you cannot scale that building. And I was saying, I think I can do it. I was that in tune. I was that in tune with it, man. Seriously. I was living that game. 
Remember, you, do you remember how much I was playing that you, game? You, 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 that way of thinking is why we have PSA for children that they don't <laughs> play this. <laughs> I was just, I was, I was looking at buildings, structures. I could jump it. I could do it. I could climb it. I can see the handholds. Michelle's like, you cannot. Seriously, you've got a bad. I agree with Michelle. <laughs> you've got a, a bad knee and a bad back. You're not climbing up a fucking building um, with your bare hands. Um, Interview with the vampire details. Uh, director Alan Taylor from big budget dramas like Game of Thrones, Mad Men, and Sopranos will direct the show's first two episodes while also coming aboard as an executive producer. Heading up the cast is Game of Thrones alum Jacob Anderson. It says you will remember him as the Grey Worm. I don't. Um, who will play Louis? Sam Reed, who starred in films like Anonymous and The Railman, will play Lestat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you remember the Grey Worm, Rich, from Game of Thrones? Because I... It's, it's Matt never watched Game of Thrones, so... Not no. really about with me. Um, Bailey Bass, a young actress set to star in the upcoming Avatar sequels, joins the cast as Claudia, who was obviously played by Kirsten Dunst. Now, I believe Louis is being played by a black actor and probably will not be a plantation owner who held slaves, which was the original Louis, um, back in the day. So... Um, they're making a few changes. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I love those books. I know you don't love those books, Richard. There's something wrong with you internally that you don't like vampires. Um, no, I think I think there's something right with me internally. <laughs> now, Rich, you'll be excited about this. They're doing a gritty remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because, of course, they are, Rich. Um, that was always what we wanted in the 90s, wasn't it? Like watching Fresh Prince thinking, you know what? This should really be gritty. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was more realistic. <laughs> yeah, like... I wish, it... I wish there was more drugs and guns and alcohol and, you know, shit, you know, it's just too lighthearted and fun. It's just too fun and everyone's just having too much of a good time. So, I mean, I, I tell you, I used to love that show. I was a big, big Fresh Prince fan. I mean, obviously, Will Smith was enormous in that show. It was great. Uh, the Uncle Phil... Well, that, that's what made him, really. I mean, I know he had the community career, but um, the, the Fresh Prince is what made him a household name. Oh, 100%. Hundred percent, and uh, Uncle Phil Carlton, um, the the girl was it Vanessa? I forget what her name was, but she was good too. Like it was just a great. What, show. You, you, do you do you the the guy that played Uncle Phil? Mm. Do you know you know what else great he did? I do know in pop culture Shredder. Yes, he was the voice of Shredder in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated show he was great that guy he was he was he was and I didn't know that until recently uh, I did not know that at the time. He was great, a great actor. He passed away uh, a while ago. Um, mm. Yeah, but what I don't understand is, like, the whole thing was, for those who haven't seen The Fresh Prince, that, like, um, Will was, Smith, was playing kind of like, uh, kind of like a bit of a delinquent youth who was sent, I believe, by his mother to his uncle. Um, and, and they they were, his uncle was, what was he, a judge or something, wasn't he? Or a lawyer, at least? He was a judge. Well, I think it was. A, I think it was a lawyer. Yeah, he, he was. Well, they were Richie Rich, and that was the, the thing. It was like they're Richie Rich, and they're you know obviously all black family, very aspirational, and it was like fun. And he was kind of well, like. It's, it's a typical. It's that typical fish out of water. Yeah. He's from the hood. Sure. Right, and he's now living with his rich, upper class. You know, oh daddy, oh mummy. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, siblings, uh, uh, relatives, mm. and 
he, you know what I mean? He's that fish out of water where he doesn't quite fit into that world, and that's where the hilarity ensues. Totally, totally. What we didn't need was was it to be like, oh, let's make, let's, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, let's do that meets the wire. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, come on. But that's what I said to you. I think we had this discussion the other day. I, I just, I don't understand this obsession with gritty, gritty, gritty. Why does everything have to be Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, you know what I mean? Why can't we just have some fun shit as well? Like, why does everything have to be dark and gritty? Yeah, totally agree. By the way, Michael Kellishim emailed me reference to my calls for treason charges against the Superman writer who did that horrific thing to Superman. He said, treason for whoever cleared that publication. The rot starts at the top. Comics need decent editors. Resurrect Denny O'Neill. Someone toss his corpse, his decaying corpse, into the Lazarus pit. Meanwhile, Action 1 sells for over $3 million. Wow. Well, um, let, let me tell you something. You, you can't try people for treason that are not there. When he says they need better editors, no, they actually need editors. Gotcha. Good point. I, I don't believe those people have editors. I don't, believe, I don't think there's any oversight going on at fucking uh, DC and Marvel, honestly. There's nothing going on at all. Um, Andrew Garfield said he pestered his agent after being turned down for the role of Prince Caspian in the Narnia movies uh, to find out why, and he's leading to his agent telling him it's because they don't think you're handsome enough, Andrew. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, he obviously went on to find fame. Well, as... I mean, he's he's certainly not as good-looking as Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Did Jake Gyllenhaal play Prince Caspian? I don't think he did. Did he? I'm oh, sorry, Prince Caspian. I think it's the Persia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he, I mean, either way, the guy that played Prince Caspian was also quite handsome. So. He was, he was. He was a dreamboat, Rich. Um, Elvis Costello says he's going to stop playing his controversial song, Oliver's Army Live, and urge radio stations to stop playing it. Interesting story uh, for those who know the song. Uh, it has... It's because it has the N-word in it. Yes. But there's an interesting story which he explains to that. That usage of that word to the Irish, I believe, like lower class, was actually used as a slur against them by, you know, the English and whoever else. Like, so it was, actually, and he uses it in that context in the, in the song. And he's saying, part of the reason I'm saying this is because people don't understand that and they complain about it, but they don't know that it, historically it was used. And I'm using it in that context in the song if you actually... Know it, but of course, context yeah, is lost. But but again, he doesn't want to spend the rest of his life explaining that in today's exactly. age, so he's just decided to do yes. away with it. And he's also saying that when it's been played forever, I mean, this song has been on every single best of Elvis Costello ever. You know, like, yes, but don't but don't forget, nothing was really problematic until now. Yes, and the thing was, they started the radio stations that played all the time. They started bleeping it, and he said that's even more annoying. You know, because you, you still don't get it. And then, so now he said, look, I'm not playing it anymore because basically, as you said, I'm tired of explaining it. And radio stations, do me a favour, don't play it. Play play one of his other fucking songs. Um, interesting, mm. though, because it is, let's face it, I know Elvis Costello is a very renowned artist. It is one of his most played songs. Like, uh, that you'll, it's a song that, cop, you know, crops up often on classic rock stations. You know, like, it's, it's kind of like The Clash's... Um, What's the song by the Clash? I fought the law and the law won. It's kind of it's kind of that for him. 
you know, like it's a signature mm. song. So, but, for, but I mean, I, I guarantee you he's not hurting for cash. So maybe he's just thought, just put a pin in it, you know? And yeah, again, as I said, it, it, it was, yeah, it, it, this never caused him a problem until probably now. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's just like, you know what? The longer like I play it or keep trying to explain it, people probably still keep attacking me. Yeah. Um, you know, which again, they do. Sadly. I tell you something that really, I mean, that's fine. Something that really fucking annoyed me was when the Rolling Stones catered to that radical, whining, complaining left and said they won't play Brown Sugar on their tour. That really pissed me off. Because if I was a Rolling, I am a Rolling Stones fan. If I went to a Rolling Stones concert and they weren't playing Brown Sugar, I'd be pissed. You know, like, because they play it almost every single fucking concert they've played since, like, 1970. And, I look, I know Mick Jagger's saying, like, we'll probably play it again, but just the fact that I can't believe the Stones actually, you know, because they don't need to bend over to that. You know what I mean? They're, like, they're, they're big enough and old enough, and their legacy is totally, you know, they, really, honestly, they can play Brown Sugar to the rest of their career, and, and Rolling Stones fans will love it and fill their stadiums until the day they decide enough is enough. So I can't believe they did that. I don't know if partly it was just for Mick Jagger to just to get back in the press a little bit. I, I, I felt maybe just, you know, to make sure that people are talking about him like we are now. What do you think, Rich? Um, yeah, probably a bit of both. bit yeah. of that, you know. I mean, as I said, the problem is is, like, I think a lot of artists are finding out today that, it's just really hard today to mm. um, uh, to not be attacked because you know uh, I just find it fascinating that people have no concept of time mm. and that people change and their views change, right? So a song that you wrote in like the seventies or the eighties, yeah, is still how you view the world or it's who you are now in twenty sixteen, twenty eighteen, twenty twenty. You know what I mean? Sure. You're a bad person now because something you wrote 30, 40 years ago or something that was fine then or common then or whatever, and we've deemed it problematic now, so now you must pay for those crimes you did 40 years ago. It's, I, I can understand why a lot of them just go, fuck it, I don't care. Like, uh, you know, it, I made my money off of it. I made my success off of it. Who gives a shit? Like, I, I just don't want to be attacked by these, these loony, you know, yeah, these loony people. But do you really feel that the Rolling Stones are in any real danger of anything at all? Any like It's not the danger, it's just that all these people will write articles constantly about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every you know, and every, then one every day yeah. in, in the in the in the future when people look up Rolling Stones, that stuff will be there and people go, Oh jeez, were the Rolling Stones problematic, you know, because you know, the the further you go, the less context you have for what happened in the past. But I'll tell you something else and why it annoyed me so much. The Rolling Stones was that was part of their charm was that like in the sixties you had the Beatles which you know were kind of the good guys and the Rolling Stones did always have a darker edge to them and as it went into the seventies they had that drug edge to them as well and they always had it was part of their appeal a, a slightly darker context to them they always did like they were writing songs on Let It Bleed on you know. All these songs, they were never really about peace and love, you know, at all, the Rolling Stones. And that was part of their appeal. They were a rock band, you know what I'm saying? And, and like, they weren't just, they weren't, mummies and daddies didn't like the Rolling Stones. 
back in the 60s and 70s. You've also got, you've also got to remember, though, is that um, in that time, if you're talking about like the 70s, mm. there was a lot more disillusionment with government and the power mm. and, and, and politicians and stuff, so, um, and, and, and sort of the world. So there, there were a lot of these edgier bands that came out who wanted to, you know, uh, make commentary write songs about shit, you know, and stuff. And as I said, you, you had good intentions then, or, you know, it, it was you sort of fighting the man kind of thing, but now that's deemed problematic because... But, but let's be honest. The one, the, the, but the funny thing now is the people today, the younger crowd, your millennials, your zoomers and all that, they seem to love the government. Really? Because I would have the thought government. the government now is more bankrupt than ever, morally... Everything. Like, you, I mean, for, for people like you and me yeah. who've been around longer, it is. But for a lot of the younger crowd, I mean, there's people who, you know, um, I, I'll give you a perfect example, right? And this, this is just an example. So when, when COVID first came out, right, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Trump was like, uh, he said, we'll have, a, we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year. I remember, yeah. And every single person that hated Trump said, I'm not taking that vaccine. I won't trust that vaccine. When Biden gets elected, that same vaccine mm. comes out, mm. and those same people who said, I'm not taking that vaccine, now are demanding that everyone takes the vaccine because the government said they must take the vaccine. Sure. So that's my point. Like, people are very, like, if your person's in power or the, or the person you identify as in power, you just believe them. You must do what you're told. <laughs> and that's why I say, like, when they look at music like that, they can't see it for what it is. Yeah, this is odd. I, you know I, I mean? just they, think they, they can't see the, 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 the commentary that it was making or in, in, in why the song was written or why phrases like that were used and stuff. They've got no, they've got no context, man. They're struggling for any kind of cohesion or form. And, like, the Rolling Stones came out, that song came out at a very chaotic time, you know, and, like, I just, I don't, I, I just don't understand these idiots who are trying to ban it and you know and i really really push back against mick jagger banning it because i saw keith richards comments and, you know he was he keith richards seemed nonplussed as to why we're banning the song he was just like really i don't even understand why we're, ban- we're banning this song yeah but but this but this is also the problem you see is because they get their way and that's why it will continue yeah i wouldn't have because buckled it's just easier it's just easier to give in to them than to fight them and yeah. so they keep winning you know, they keep winning these little battles but, and then it just emboldens them more and more. Let me ask you a question. Trying to shut down more and stuff. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so taking another Rolling Stones song, Sympathy for the Devil, which is also a great song. That song is literally, if you if you want, look, it, yeah, it's just a fucking song. You know what I mean? It's a song Mick Jagger wrote with Keith Richards. It's a song where the character is Lucifer, Satan talking about he's behind the Kennedys and Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, about the disillusionment of the time. Now, you could have... I mean, I guarantee you, at some fucking point since that song came out, there were some religious groups... It's called Sympathy for the Devil. You can't tell me some religious groups didn't kick up at some point. Like, you know, why is that any different? What You know, like, it's just another whining group that they because obviously... Back then you, you, but back then you cared about your music now when you're an old yeah. band yeah you've had your success you've made your money eh, who gives a fuck true 
yeah, you're, I'm too rich to even really care about this argument kind of thing, you know? Like, it's just, it's just, it's just hard to care. I don't know. The funny thing they always said about Mick Jagger was, um, in Street Fighting Man, no one really believed Mick Jagger was fighting the revolution. He was always a spectator. <laughs> like, he, he, you know, if there was a revolution, he was in the hotel that probably would have been burned down by the revolutionaries, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let's face it. So it's all an act. It's all a facade. Um, now, interesting here, Riot, which is a video game company, Riot employees who don't like their, how the company is being run can take a quarter of their 2022 salary and walk away. That team who want to stay must buy into Riot's five-year plan, which um, has a lot of weird statements, such as our games will work together to continue listening to players. The gist is that Riot is restructuring, changing its compensation model and giving employees equity in some way, opening new studios, working on new games and other media. Riot will also require employees to return to work into an office for three days per week at some point in the future. So basically they're saying if you don't want to buy into that, you can take 20% of your salary and walk. Um, interesting uh, sort of line in the sand and probably pointing to what are a lot of companies, maybe not being so generous, but I think there's going to be a lot of shifts if people companies are trying to get people to come back in the office or like, well, I'm working remotely perfectly fine now for two years. Um, do I want to do I want to work for a company that's forcing me to come back in when I know I can work remotely? I think it's going to be an interesting conversation over the next say two three years, Rich. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a conversation. Um, uh, look, I think there's certain jobs where I think it's fine to work from home. I don't think making video games is one of them. Sure. You know, I I believe that um, when you're making a video game, especially when you're talking about something that's like you know. Uh, creative, artistic, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, working in an environment where someone can walk over, or you can pull someone over and say, "Hey, look at this," sure, and they can give you feedback, advice, or you know, show you something that you can fix there on the spot, or go, "Oh, that looks a bit janky." I think that's everything that helps make a better game. Mm-hmm. You Good know, point. and and so I, I do I. I I think there's certain jobs where you, you, where you, just because you can do the job at home doesn't mean that that's the right yeah, no, I call. Hear. And you know what? If they say I'm spending two to three days in, in the office, well, you know what? I mean, suck it up. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to come in five, six days a week. Yeah, exactly, Richard. And you'd know all about that, wouldn't you, man? You know? Exactly. I haven't, I haven't worked at home for, at all <laughs> in two in the whole two years of this shit going down. So, <laughs> okay. I've, I've, you know what? I'm taking that. No, I've got no more tears to cry for them. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're all cried out. Uh, Kevin Smith on The Punisher. Uh, Jesus Christ, I've lost any kind of respect for Kevin Smith as a person. I, I saw him the other day whinging about like the response to He Man and how he's not going to do commentaries on the on the tail end episodes because he got he got too much heat. He got all these people just harassing the fuck out of him when he was trying to do his commentaries. And I'm like, well, hey, Kevin, did it ever occur to you? to not do a fucking commentary and make it live? Like, why don't you just do an audio commentary like many people have done before of many different pop culture products and just do it with your little gang and then release it? Like, but you always feel you have to have an interactive component. And guess what? The, the feedback to your He-Man was negative. That was the general consensus. And so you're getting negative feedback. So just either accept that or just bubble yourself and do the commentary and be professional. But instead, he was he, he was playing the victim, Rich. He had his little tears out, and he was weeping, and he had, was having Mark Bonner and Nandon, or whatever the guy's name is, hold his hand. And it was really pathetic to watch. And by the way, he was in uh, 
a costume of some sort. Like he had like sort of horns on his head. I don't know what it was, but it looked stupid. Um, your comments, Rich? Horns on his head. I think that's when he's doing the fat man and blunt man. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's the cap that he wears as that character. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't give a fuck about Kevin Smith and his feelings. Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, he, this is a guy who he's he's used to having people on his side because he used to be one of us. Sure. You know, he used to be that guy calling out Hollywood for the shitty things that they. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's he's the guy who. When they, um, you know, when they tapped him to, I think, uh, write the Nicolas Cage Superman or work on it or direct on it, the ideas that they were having, he was like, you can't be fucking serious. Yeah. You know, with the giant spider crap and all that sort of stuff. So this is a guy that used to be a fan who thought that the Hollywood changes and the way that they treated properties was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but now he's just become a corporate shill yes man. And he's been that for you 10 know, years, 15 years. He's been that, well, for, he's been that for a while now, but I'm just saying, but that... But it still hasn't hit him because, let's be honest, he hasn't done anything mainstream. No. So even though he's become a corporate shield, the most he's done is, okay, he made another Silent Bob movie. He made a, um, he's directed a couple of episodes of the Flash TV show. You know what I mean? Like, he hasn't done anything major like He-Man. No. And then he did He-Man. You know what I mean? It was a fucking disaster, basically. Yeah, and he just fucking absolutely ruined it. And you know what? The, the problem is, is he should have also just said, guys, I'm just directing this. Sure. If he was just going to be the director. Because apparently there was other guys. He, you know, again, he tried to shift the blame onto other guys who were supposed to be the He-Man experts who loved the script and all that. But Kevin Smith could never, ever, ever have been tapped to write the He-Man script. Yeah. Well, didn't he famously say he didn't really like He-Man or something? Wasn't that one of his comments? Yeah. But not just that. Look, look I don't necessarily believe that you need to be a fan of something to write it if, if you're willing to do the research and the homework. Sure, of course. But it's Kevin Smith's style that doesn't fit with a He-Man. Totally. Yeah, his crap style, basically. Um, yeah, no, it's just... I, I want, and So now he's saying to Punisher fans who are pissed off like me that Punisher's going to be the leader of the hand. He's saying nothing is forever. Well, thanks, Kevin, for that. Like, Just like your He-Man, I guess. Nothing is forever. Um, like he's got the, career. He, he's, he, he, he's got a small, he's got it. He's, he'll always have this very small audience that is completely brainwashed who just love everything he does. And there's this minority of He-Man supporters who just say, Oh, it was just so revolutionary what he did. And the, the fandom is so toxic. I'm like, yeah, the fandom is probably pretty toxic, but he also put out a pretty crap product. You know, like, at the end of the day. Like, I, I'm not really a Toxic fan. I don't really care that much. I watched it. I, sl I battled through that first, you know, half or whatever. And I was like, man, this, this sort of sucks. I was looking forward to this, but now I'm not. And I haven't watched the second half, Rich, have you? No, 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 no. I haven't even technically finished watching the first, so. Yeah, no. So, Kevin Smith is just a clown. And the way he was playing the victim was just pathetic. And I, and I said that on Facebook. I said, weak and pathetic. You know? Um, like, seriously. Now, anyway, uh, Ben Affleck was talking. He cited his experience on Justice League as the lowest point for himself personally. Clarifying his feelings were not indicative of the quality of the project itself. He said the overall bad experience was due to a combination of factors, including his divorce from actress Jennifer Garner, his frequent travel... 
the death of director Zack Snyder's daughter, and the subsequent reshoots with Whedon. It was just the the worst experience. It was awful. It was everything that I didn't like about this, Affleck added. The experience with Just League was not the final time Affleck would become disenchanted with playing the Caped Crusader. And he was talking to Matt Damon, who was interviewing him in like some sort of loving, and he said, I talked to you, he's talking to Matt Damon, I talked to you about it, and you were a principal influence on that decision. I want to do the things that would bring me joy. Then we went and did Last Jewel, and I had fun every day of this movie, uh, on this movie. So, I mean, look, in all fairness to him, it feels like he was going through a tough time. He was tasked with writing and directing Batman. The project got too big for him. He was having a terrible time with Just League, which was awful. Um, and he was just burnt out and had enough. I can appreciate that. Like, in all, in all fairness, I can understand Ben Affleck's position here. He must have just absolutely had enough, and he just couldn't focus... On, on Batman, and it was kind of like the whole machine, I think, crept up on him. Do you think, Rich? I'll be honest with you, I think most I think most of it is more his personal life that ruined everything for him, because let's be honest, I mean, as an actor, you you get you get good roles with bad shoots or, you know, um, movies that, that turn out to be good or whatever that are difficult, but I, I think it was more the personal stuff. Sure. And him, like, you know, uh, drinking again and stuff and all that. Um, let's be honest, I think that certainly didn't help. No, definitely. Uh, with, with, the, with the Justice League and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's probably a combination of things, but I think everything would have been a lot easier on the Justice League if it wasn't for his personal problems as well. So, you can't put it all on the movie. No, but do you think, oh, I mean, just looking kind of like empathetically at it, like he, um, how can I say, like the pressure of writing and directing. Writing and directing's a tough gig, and Batman's a big movie, or would have been a big movie. So it's not a small, it's not like a small romantic feature. It's a big movie, and to write yeah, and direct. But, but he's done plenty of writing and directing uh, in his career, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that was... Um, you don't think that was a factor? I th- no, I don't think it was as big a factor. Sure. I mean, the marriage breakup yes, would have been gonna be, It's going to be a harder factor when you're having personal problems. Sure. And you're, you're going through a divorce and you're, you're hitting the source again and all that sort of shit. Yeah, of course, that's going to make it very difficult to write. <laughs> but I don't think that was just like, oh, it's difficult to write and direct. It's like, yeah, but Ben, that's pretty much what you've been doing to revive your career. Sure. Like, Every good movie you've been in that's got good buzz and all that, you wrote and directed and acted in. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean... You know, uh, whether it's Argo, The Town, you know, uh, I think he did Gone Girl as well. Yes, he did. You know, so yeah, don't feed me that, oh, it's difficult. Of course it's difficult, but you've done it. You're good at it. <laughs> I think, let's be honest, it's it's the personal shit. And that, that is a big personal thing. I mean, it's... You're, you know, you're going through a divorce, you've got kids, you're battling alcohol. I think that's going to take a toll on even the breeziest of gigs. But why couldn't he have just gone to, like, uh, rehab and just come out of rehab and, you know, they could have pushed the movie back a little bit and, you know, he could have continued on. I mean, did he finish a script? That's what I want to know. Was there a script for Batman? I don't even know if he finished no a script. no idea. I, I honestly, see, I reckon, obviously the drinking and the marriage breakup was big factors. He was obviously a mess. Um, and, and maybe... Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you get, like, high-functioning alcoholics, and he was obviously one of them, but 
inevitably that lifestyle will catch up with you. And if you've got the crunch on, what well, you've got to, you've got to produce a script for Warner Brothers, and then you've got to place the actors, and you've got to do this and that, and you've got a million things you've got to do as a director. Um, you know, I I think it's a combination of everything. I, I I think it'd be like if you're a sports player and you had an alcohol problem, you can manage it for a long time. But if if your form slumps and the pressure's on, and then you're drinking, you know, at night and you're not ready for game day and you're not you or you're out of shape for practice, you lose your fitness. You know, it's all yeah, but cyclical. He, but he wasn't out of form though. That's the thing. Like the reason that he was kind of picked for that Batman is because he was on the rise. Sure. He was having so much success. So sure. he certainly wasn't out of form. Yeah, it's but, not like he'd been out of the game, not writing or directing. No, I know, but but and I, now but, he was asked to do it. I'm just saying. I, I I think yes, writing, directing, acting. It's all difficult. But I think a lot of the the negativity that he's he probably has associated with these products mm. uh, or, or stuff that he pro, uh, for projects that he was supposed to do really come from the personal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's married. Because the, the, the work ends. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Work has its hours, but your personal crap that's happening in your life, there is no start and finish. Sure. It, it comes in and out of, of the entire day and during work and after work and as you're going to bed. Like, there's no, like, end to, like, time frame for that. So yeah, I but just we, think we, that we make the, our own. We it, make it, our it, own health. It clouds your, your, your memory for, like, just negativity of the whole experience. True. He was going through a tough time. I mean, at the end of the day... At the end of the day, I honestly, I mean, I didn't feel at the time, but I reckon he probably made the wisest decision to step away, you know? Oh, probably, because, you know, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, do you really want to be attached to, to Warner Brothers who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing? Yeah. With Batman or Superman? So. And you're sort of getting deeper and deeper into the quicksand kind of thing, like, how do I get out of this fucking bullshit like kind of aspect, is what you'd be thinking. Warner, Warner Brothers with their superior movies have hurt more careers than they've helped. I tell you a decent movie, and it's it's not my normal cup of tea. It's a Ben Affleck movie he did all about alcoholism called The Way Back, I believe it's called. Yes, I watched that movie, yes. Like, it's interesting, and I think that was very much a personal project. You know, it, it was very sort of about a recovering alcoholic and about how it's not easy, etc. I, I, I thought it was a decent film. I'm not saying it was the greatest movie of all time, but it was a decent movie. I enjoyed it. It was a good movie because it didn't have that classic Hollywood happy ending. Yeah, it had a kind of weird ending, didn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, it kind of just ended like life goes on. Yeah. The, the battle continues. There's no end to the battle. Yeah, because he got fired, didn't he? I think. Yeah. Yeah, because he blew up at someone or did something. But it was an interesting movie. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, but anyway. And uh, so there was also a rumour that Marvel approached Ben Affleck for Daredevil cameo in Doctor Strange 2 um, in the Multiverse of Madness, Rich, because uh, famously he played Daredevil back in the day, a movie I quite enjoy, frankly. I, <laughs> I enjoy the director's cut. I, enjoy, I, I own the director's cut on Blu-ray, and I do enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's a far better movie than um, the, the theatrical cut, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, probably I could see him not doing that, because why would he want to get tied into more of this bullshit? You know, after he's just well, yeah, especially this has come off the bat. Well, look, let's be honest. The the the, the daredevil was a, a failure. Yeah. And let's be honest, not through no fault of his own, his Batman has been a failure. In that world, sure. Like the world has been a failure, not necessarily the Batman. So he's probably like, um, you know what? I think I'm done with the superhero shit for now. 
It's like, yeah. I mean, once you've played Batman, is there anything bigger in superhero? Probably not. You know, um, what? Why? And he's and he's getting his swan song in the Flash movie anyway. So he's, I'm sure he'll go up. Yeah. Well, Batman. I mean, look, he had two bites of the apple with the Batman. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Netflix's Sandman show is rated TV MA for violence, sex, and language. Uh, I am really looking forward to this uh, Sandman show, Rich. Uh, I don't know when it's coming out, but I am excited, man. I'm starting to get. I'm starting to. Well, I'm going to be. Oh come on! There's plenty of people excited. <laughs> there's plenty of heat on this show, Rich. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, there was this thing. Oh, heat, like, you mean you mean heat like a steaming pile of shit? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> why are you so harsh on it? Is it because the 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 death is black? Is that why you you you're down on it? No, I don't. I don't give it. I I don't give a shit about Sandman. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't you don't give a fuck about Sandman comics let alone the tv yeah yeah so yeah there's there's no heat for me (laughs) i just can't even picture you sitting down to read a sandman comic somehow i just you know really it's just not Not, yeah it's not it's not not my cup of tea frankly it's not always mine but when i read sandman it made such an impression on me um i didn't expect to like it as much as i did actually because i don't particularly like the start of Sandman, I I really like it when Death turns up, and then I was hooked. Um, but there are some lulls in the run. I I love it, but like it's not all gold. Sometimes it got a bit too arty farty for me. Um, but you know it's an interesting interesting read. Um, we had the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer. Um, this was his quote about Xbox Live: "We see all positives and negatives of the human condition." We have people who propose to each other and get married on Xbox Live. We also have conversations about politics and other things that happen. One of the things we've stated about our social network is we're not a free speech platform. We're a platform around interactive entertainment and video games, and we're not there to allow all kinds of social discourse to happen on our platform. That's not why we exist. I don't even know what he's talking about. I assume some radicals of some sort have taken over. No, what, what, what he's basically saying is that you you don't get to talk about whatever you want. If they deem what you're talking about as problematic, then you can be banned because right. they're not they're not free speech, and there's certain things they don't want people to talk about. There's certain things that they find offensive, and so they will ban your ass. Right. Well, I mean, that is that news. Even That's... if you're just talking to friends or or random people on yeah. online or whatever, and you're having like a debate or a discussion gotcha. or something like that, if it's something they deem problematic, get out, yeet. But, like, Rich, that doesn't feel like it's anything new to me. That feels business as normal. Um, No. So my issue with that is you don't get to decide who gets banned or not. Uh, There's a fantastic function online, right? It's called a block button. Sure. If you meet someone online who, in a game or whatever, and you find they're toxic or they spat whatever, guess what? You can block that person and then you you won't hear them and you won't get matched with them. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know what Xbox has got anything to do with monitoring people's conversations and stuff and all that. Big Brother, man, it sounds like. It sounds like, oh, Phil Spencer's like, they've got the listeners out. That wouldn't surprise me. They're probably listening in right now to Signal, you know? And um, Well, we're not on their platform, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but is the, is the system ever off? It's kind of like Apple with their fucking phone. Is it ever really off? They're listening to everything we do, you know? They, they, the government knows how much I know about aliens. 
Seriously, they do. Yeah, well, what... That's why they haven't arrested you because apparently it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> They're watching me for my next fucking move, how I'm going to fucking move and cut. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I see. And uh, there's a lot of angles to this one, Rich. Interesting idea. I mean, I didn't know people were getting married on Xbox. Um, I don't think he means. I think I don't know if he means married or like they meet and they get married, as in like right. You know, I met my wife on Warcraft, or I met my wife online. You know, playing a game. I don't know if he actually literally means they get married. I think he's. I think what he meant to say was they meet online and they end up getting married. But then it, I bet, obviously just trying to shorten it. I met my wife, and it turns out she was a fucking fat guy. <laughs> An obese Well, that's guy. why you don't get married online. Yes, yeah. you've got to meet the person first. Yeah. I thought he meant like a really kind of like lame virtual kind of marriage with like little avatars and stuff, you know, or popping oh, I'm up. I'm sure there is some weirdo people because, I mean, some people, well, I think some people, they have an in-game ceremony, but I mean, obviously they still go and get married in real life because it doesn't yes. count online. But yeah. uh, I don't think literally people can actually get married online. You do need some sort of... Well, you, need, you need to sign the papers um, with the register. Like, you know, you can't just get married. You can't just... I ha- don't... No, no, I think you have to be the person to sign some documents or something, don't That's you? what I'm saying. You have to sign some documentation, yeah. I mean... So, yeah. I, don't know. Anyway, I think he just means that people meet online, they, you know, start relationships, they get married, all that sort of shit. Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, whatever, man. That's, that's my interpretation th- of th- it. Th- thanks, Phil Spencer, for whatever fucking comment you're trying to make on society today. Obviously, he's getting... Hey, some- look, my attitude is just shut your mouth and keep giving me games on Game Pass. That's it, yeah. Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. I saw an article today which actually pissed me off. It, how do you pronounce the name of the website, Rich? It's like Kotaku or something? K-O... Uh, Kotaku. Yeah, Kotaku. And they said, the Xbox One is dead and we, don't, we do not mourn it or something. And I read it and it was just like bagging out the Xbox One. And I was like, seriously, I, I, I wrote in the comments, I, I've loved my Xbox One. I've got two of them. Um, I don't, like, it was yeah, just, you know, really hammering it. That's just it. a console war for you, man. That's just a console war. Yeah, just people promoting whatever, the PS5 and stuff. Like, But I was just like, but, like, the tone of the article was just so ridiculous. Like, like it was kind of like the Xbox One's been so shit. Who could like it? And I'm thinking, what's wrong with the Xbox One? Like, I think it's been a good console. Been plenty of good games, you know. Uh, you can watch a lot of shit on it. Like, it's been good, I think, personally. I, I don't understand these people who are so, like, you know, they've got to hate one of the platforms. Like, I have the PS5. You know, I don't really see this radical difference. I, I still prefer the Xbox um, design, how they design. I'm, I'm more used to the Xbox design if you know what i mean like it's more natural to me because mm. i've used it more um but they're quite similar is what i'm trying to say as well like it's not they're not i mean like when i'm playing a ps5 game i'm not thinking man this is you know fuck xbox like this is it like it's it's like it's another console i'm playing a game like life goes on yeah yeah you know what i mean i, I don't i don't quite understand it but it was it was just a weird article like it was it was kind of trying to say like the xbox one really struggled as a, as a platform like it didn't know what it wanted let, let, do, do yourself a favor though just disregard kotaku though they are they are they are cancerous right okay i i yeah i mean i don't know them from bar of soap i just stumbled across the article online and just was like i was confused anyway um 
I'm annoyed by this. Despite rumours of Batman's first R-rated outing, Matt Reeves' take on the character will continue the trend of PG-13 ratings. I'm pissed. I was hoping for an R-rated Batman. I'm so annoyed because I thought this was going to be the dark Batman. Seriously, I did. And now it's just like, oh, no, we're going to PG-ify it again. I'm not happy. Um, what do you think, Rich? Back to you. I don't care. <laughs> You're going to be watching the movie, Rich. I, forget about... Like... Watching, but, I don't, but I don't care, Dave. I'm not, I, I'm not interested in this movie, this franchise, this <laughs> trilogy, whatever the fuck it is. So I don't really give a crap what his rating is. Well, you're going to have to watch it and give a detailed review. Detailed. Beat by beat. i tell you one thing I don't like about it. Have you seen The Riddler? What the fuck is going on with The Riddler? Can I just say that right now? The Riddler does not look like a Riddler. He looks like more like Scarecrow. Have you seen the Riddler, dude? Type in Riddler, the Batman, Matt Reeves, and what pops up, you will be like, how the hell is this the Riddler? Um, it's the worst Riddler I've ever seen. If that's indicative of what this movie's going to be, I'm not happy. Um, well, to be fair, not, none of the characters look like they're supposed to. Yeah, it's weird, man. It looks like a really weird Batman movie, dude. Like, as the more I see of it, I'm like... What is going on? Like, Batman's driving a muscle car. The Riddler looks like Scarecrow. I mean, Penguin... Actually, the, Riddler looks, the, the Riddler looks like a gimp wearing a, a raincoat. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Like, like well, how the fuck is that the Riddler? Um, I, I just think that whoever's doing this movie... I know Matt Reeves is doing it, and I've enjoyed his previous films. This feels like a radical departure, which I did necessarily do not want to take. Um, I'm not happy about it at all, frankly. Um, I'm very displeased when I saw that Riddler. Uh, now, just wrapping up news, Rich, Han Solo and Chewbacca series is set to be released in March of 2022. This is a comic book series, Rich, featuring Han Solo and Chewbacca, um, I think, between Empire and Return of the Jedi. Oh, no. no. That couldn't be possible. No, between Solo and New Hope. That's what it is. Not when he's carbonated. Ooh, okay. Mark Guggenheim is going to be writing it. He's done some good X-Men comics, and he was also involved with the Flash show. Um, does that ring any, you know, decent bells in your Yeah, region? doesn't. Again, I don't, I don't believe that there's any current writers working now who do good uh, Star Wars stuff, so really? it doesn't matter. What about if Ed Brubaker got on board? I, 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 won't, I won't be reading it, put it that way. What about if Ed Brubaker got on board? I still wouldn't be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, comics. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Brubaker would turn it into some sort of uh, crime noir. <laughs> he probably would, Rich. It'd be the darker sides of Coruscant, and it would be crime drama. You know, probably... and Hansel would start talking like a noir detective or something. <laughs> <laughs> probably would, Rich. Actually, that's actually you're probably not a million miles away with that with that pitch. You know, it's like, I've just come up with this idea. We do Star Wars, but as noir. Okay, keep talking, Ed. Okay, it's pretty much a crime story. <laughs> Han Solo is kind of like a detective. We're going to have a glamorous femme fatale. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep layering the story in like that. Oh, wow, okay, all right. Yeah, it's not really sci-fi. It's more mystery. No, they'll go, brilliant. Yeah, like, yeah. Give me the script tomorrow. <laughs> And Richard will be one very unhappy camper. 
Um, Comixology are experiencing some changes. I was trying to get some straight answers out of them, and that was impossible. They're changing their app. Um, there's all sorts of repercussions for people outside the US. Um, sounds like there's going to be reduced functionality for people outside the US. It sounds like they're running scared. They've obviously been um, bought by Amazon. Basically, you won't be able to use the app anymore to search for you know new things to buy. It's all going to be through the Amazon Marketplace. Uh, and yeah, it sounds like Comixology will just become a, a, a comic reader, which is what they always were, but you could also go to their website and buy stuff. It sounds like that's going the way of the dodos. And um, yeah, and it's pretty much just going to become a reader. You'll keep your comics. But it, it, they made a comment that if you're outside the US, you will no longer be able to group your comics in series. And I said, what does that even mean? You know, how will you be able to maintain your comic list if they're not grouped into series? And, and like, no response from Comicsology. Like, if I own, like, I own hundreds of Batman comics, Rich, uh, digitally, yeah? Which I've bought in sales over the years. And they're split, like, you know, all the different million versions of Batman, they're split into the titles, into the series. If they're going to remove that, won't it just be one gigantic mess? Yes, it will. But I mean, I think that's that's how um, that's pretty much how Amazon is. It doesn't it, it your library is the order that you bought it in. Mm. Right. But on, but on the Kindle app, you can alpha. I don't know. You can alphabetize. You can all do all sorts of things. I don't. I don't understand it. I'm going to stay on the story though because we will. I will when the new app gets released because it hasn't been released yet. When the app gets released, I will do a full review of it and discussion of it. But right now we're speculating, and the guy put out a very puff piece trying to deflect criticism. They're not answering emails. They're not doing anything, um, and they're very, you know, they're very lacking any kind of clarity. And uh, to me, they're looking more and more like the sellouts they've always been uh, since they sold to Amazon. You know. They're washing their hands of it. They've taken the money and they're walking away. It's basically how it feels. Just like me
right, Rich, it's weekly comics. Just three, Yeah, just three weekly comics this week. King Conan 2 um, continues the pattern of good-looking but mediocre Conan, I find. Like it's, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of um, flashback Conan. Yeah, I don't like, know. Like, I, I very rarely have I read a Conan story where it's all flashbacks. Yeah, there's a lot of flashbacks in this. Um, you know, normally a Conan story is like, you know, it's the adventure that he's on. Sure. So it's just, it's weird, weird reading a Conan story that's just literally nothing but flashbacks. I did like the flashback where he took, is it Con? C-O-N-N, is that his name? Or is it Con? Yeah. Whatever, Con, all the way to the edge, and then said, okay, now you're exiled, and you've got to visit all the... The lands. I actually thought that was cool. I thought that was an interesting kind of moment, and I didn't see that coming. Um, I don't know. I like well, I, that, that. That's only if that actually happens, because I mean, obviously, oh. we do know that he leaves Con to be the king, and he buggers off on like one last adventure or something. Yeah, but uh, sometime in the past, he'd done that though. I assumed that was the point of the flashback, wasn't it? I I don't know. I think it's the flashbacks are to tell us how he got to the island. I I assumed. Right. Oh, I see. I, I don't know. As I said, that's why it, we don't actually see Con going off. That's kind no, of where it ends. That's, like, that's true. The, the, the cliffhanger part. So it might not actually happen like that. So well, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see an issue, whatever, if we carry, if we carry on. Yeah. Look, it was okay. Um, I'm going to give it 6.5. Um, good artwork, but I felt the story could have been a bit punchier. And I felt that whole way through Jason Aaron's run. I, I far preferred the Jim Zub arc, actually. To, to the, the the art is definitely carrying this book at the moment. How do you compare this to the Jim Zub Conan we did? Do you know the one where he went to the east? Well, again, the the Jim Zub one, while while not the the best Conan I've read, was more in line with Conan. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Uh, what did you give it out of ten, Rich? Yeah, six out of ten. I guess. I mean, it's mainly for the art. Yeah. No, yeah, I... it's fantastic art. It's really good art. It is good art. Then we had um, Joe Hill's The Rain One. Um, Joe Hill, uh, creator of Lock and Key, Stephen King's son. Um, I dug this. It was it was kind of like odd as hell. Like I don't. I mean, nails came from the sky. Um, you know, like it would rain nails, which took me by surprise. Um, I almost wish he she hadn't said it rained nails early on in the issue, so that when it did rain nails, it was more of a surprise. Um, because we knew that it was going to rain nails, you know, and then she was setting it all up with a girlfriend and with the stripper and the the marine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I thought this was actually a really interesting uh, issue of comics. I, I kind of dug it. I'm, I'm giving it 7 out of 10. Um, the artwork was very kind of like stylistic, but I enjoyed it. Um, I know this is your normal cup of tea, Rich, but I was interested to see what you thought of it. Put me to sleep. Didn't enjoy it, did you? I thought so. Uh, it's also just, a, I don't, I'm not a fan of, um, I'm not a fan of this type of storytelling where um, you haven't even really like set up the, the the premise of the world. Like it's a, it's a flashback. Right. And she's already, but in the first couple of pages, she's already told you that everyone's dead. Mm. Or most and people a, are dead. And it's the thing. So it, it really kind of takes the, the surprise or the tension mm. out of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 
Yeah. Either either you start off showing us how decimated the world is, mm. and then you go to a flashback to tell us how it got that way. Mm. But I feel like you already telling me, oh yeah, that person's dead. This was the first person to die. Blah blah blah. As you're introducing the characters, I kind of feel like, geez, you're really taking the punch out of yeah the the when the rain does happen, the people die because you've already told me who dies and who survives. Well, that's exactly what I was saying. I, I think a wiser decision would have been not to have said what the rain was. Like, you could refer to the rain, but don't say it rained nails and everyone died right at the start because then I'm sort of, sort of waiting for it to rain nails. Or, yeah, or, or just start the story as it is like that in the moment and then you can do a, a, a time skip forward after that yeah. to where she is but the fact that she's telling you the story but she's pretty much told you the beats mm. before it's happened i just think he's really bad storytelling i don't i don't know i just i i thought it was really wrong you weren't, you weren't a fan um now this was um and no i did not enjoy the art no well i wonder what you would think of the artwork because it was um... well i i knew it was really gonna be bad from the cover because on the cover the 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 one chick's right arm is literally the length of her body mm. it's i was kind of like oh this is not uh does this person not understand proportions and well it was a very like, individual style of artwork like I, like it was arty and i sort of sometimes don't mind a bit of that yeah. you know what i mean yeah but 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 a, a human character's arm cannot be the entire length of their body like yeah. that's that's a that's bad a that's a that's that's not a stylistic choice i think that's just a really bad like you didn't spot it yeah good point I mean, unless they're Plastic Man or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or Mr. Tickle, you know. (laughs) Good old Mr. Tickle. I could do with a Mr. Tickle series. They should do a Mr. Tickle series. I loved Mr. Tickle. I always thought Mr. Tickle was the best. I bet you Mr. Tickle would be problematic now with all his tickle. Oh, probably. Anything's problematic now. Because he used to sneak around corners to tickle people with his arms and stuff. Like, as if you're allowed (laughs) to do that. Mr. Tickle, and they were constantly trying to ban him. You know, even then, that he was always like he just loved tickling that much. He couldn't help it. It's compulsive. Some people just like a good tickle. He was a compulsive tickler. Um, yeah. So I gave it seven. What did you give it, Rich? Uh, honestly, I give it a four. Yeah. Then we had um, Brave and the Bold one nine nine and fantastic. Um, yeah, Batman versus the Spectre. I thought this was a remarkably good issue. Mike Barr. On writing duties, Ross Andrew, who a lot of people would know from Spider-Man, and Rick Hoberg on art duties, um, and the Spectre is such a classic character, and teaming up with a Batman, with I felt a really decent mystery storyline that wrapped up well, and this just shows me, as I read this comic, and I'm flicking through it as we talk, how much Mike Barr and the artist crammed into one issue of comics, you know? Such an interesting story. These days, this would be a six-parter, and it would be lacking for it. You know, they they puff it yeah. up, and but this was done in a one-shot. You know, but in in saying that, mm. I do feel like this would have benefited from being a two, at least a two-parter. Sure, you would have given a bit more room. Well, just because um, the the character the 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 antagonists, mm. um, I, I I think you needed to you need a little bit more sympathy for them. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because um, it's it's two characters who they are um, they cursed by a, a, a jealous wizard, yes, or mage. So he he basically kills the guy's body, but like traps him as a spirit, and he makes her immortal. immortal. Yep. 
so but she can see him so that you know they'll spend eternity together and never be able to be together mm. um and again they did get that across in it they did tell you it but i just don't feel like there's enough time to feel bad for them yeah um you know and uh and obviously the specter does resolve it mm. um uh gently and all that and he kind of like unites them but i just kind of feel like uh they just went from kind of being villains to um sympathetic the, the sympathetic one in almost like a page and i was just sure. kind of like oh maybe like a two-parter would have been really good where maybe in the first part you think they are like these bad people these villains mm. and then in the second part you maybe just unravel a little bit more but again if i had to choose between one issue that could have been a little bit longer and an issue that's too uh, 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 an arc that's too long that draws itself out, I'd rather take this. Yeah. Yeah, I hear um, Yeah. But look, again, fantastic story. And I was very intrigued by, I, I quite liked their origin as well. I, I kind of liked their backstory. Yeah, it was That cool. I would have probably enjoyed a little bit more of that um, just to feel for them because I was like, man, that guy is a dick. Oh, and he put actually put a failsafe that if he was ever to get his spirit into a body, mm. then um, then she would die. Yeah. Exactly so they right. still couldn't be together. So, you know, I just, as I said, oh, I just would have, I, I was quite fascinated by that story and those characters that I, I, I just wanted a little bit more, but I thoroughly enjoyed this, this issue. I thought it was fantastic. But Rich, as Batman, I believe, said at the end, they were reunited to be forever, together forever in heaven after that. So well, no, the Spectre said Spectre that, not Batman. Said that, Batman. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense, the Spectre saying that. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of like, do you know that for certain Spectre? Or well, is... that's because because the Batman was like, "You monster, Spectre! You killed him and stuff and all that." And he was like, "Don't be an idiot, Batman." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are things beyond like the model Ken that you know, Batman. There's things. Yeah, beyond. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, great, great, and only one issue more to go of Batman Brave and the Bold because Batman Brave and the Bold two hundred, which features the Earth one and Earth two Batman meeting, I believe, and teaming up. Um, is the final issue, a supersized issue, and we'll do it not next week because we're doing doing 250s next week, but we will do it the week after that, and it's the final issue of Brave and the Bold before Mike Barr then went and did Batman uh, and the Outsiders, which was the replacement book for Batman Brave and the Bold, um, which did 200 issues, and I'm proud to say that I own the two omnibuses, Rich, of Batman Brave and the Bold. So, yeah, um, enjoy those. Now, I'm giving this a 9 out of 10. What are you giving it, Rich? Yeah, it's an 8 out of 10 from me. It's a um, highly fan, uh, wonderful story. Although something that's very odd, which I didn't... Maybe I've forgotten or maybe they changed him, but I always thought Jim Corrigan became the Spectre. But uh, obviously in these earlier stuff, he, the Spectre resides in his body and just comes out of his body. Yeah, the, yeah, Jim Corrigan's like a vessel for the Spectre. No, but I... Yes, yes, but I, if I remember correctly, much, much later, mm. he actually, like... The, the Spectre's in him, but the Spectre, beca- like, he becomes the Spectre. Like, right. the Spectre uses his body and and morphs into the Spectre. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's almost like Negative Man, where the Spectre comes out to do his stuff, but uh, um, Corrigan yes. is left there to be like, oh, cool, the Spectre's doing his thing. Which yeah, it's like, I like oh, okay, I don't remember that being the, the, the way it used to be. Yeah, like, in this version, it was kind of like astral projection, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's why I said I was like, uh, that threw me because I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even remember or realize that uh, that's how it used to be because I'm just so used to modern Spectre where uh, Jim Corrigan becomes the Spectre or the Spectre takes over Yeah. and and Jim Corrigan becomes the Spectre. 
No, true. Um, yeah, and I think I probably am more familiar with when he just sort of becomes him. Like, what happens with Hal Jordan? What does what happens there? Is it's not it's not astral then, is it? Hal Jordan becomes. Oh yeah, yeah. Hal Jordan is the Spectre. He becomes the Spectre. Yeah. Yeah, like in Rebirth when he's just in the in the stadium. Remember that scene? Well, with the with the Hal Jordan one, he actually has more control over the Spectre. Oh, okay, right. Whereas Jim Corrigan, he the Spectre took over, almost like uh, more like Ghost Rider. Yes, oh, the Rider. Where there were two separate entities. Whereas with uh, with the Hal Jordan one, Hal Jordan was kind of given control mm. over the Spectre, so he could actually like determine what kind of Spectre he wanted to be and what sort of punishments or stuff. Sure. I mean, the, the Spectre's essence still tried to like um, push him. Yeah. Towards being the old-fashioned Wrath. Spectre, but no, yeah. Uh, but again, that could also be just a, a clever way of saying because of um, Hal Jordan's willpower, mm. he can exert his will over the Spectre and not actually be like really overcome by the Spectre like Jim Corrigan was. Yeah, true, man. Um, now, we come to our trade of the week. Now, I want to uh, understand what was going on here. So this is the Star Wars, it's called, mm. and one of the best things that George Lucas did was getting rid of the the. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Star Wars, and it's based on George Lucas's original rough draft screenplay, which I assume was a first draft, and um, he wrote it, I believe, in 1974, the year I was born. Uh, the movie came out in 77, New Hope. Um, and very wisely, I think, um, Dark Horse, which had such a pedigree of dealing with you know Lucasfilm and all these you know comics they've done, they got their hands eventually on what must have been like a you know the holy grail in some ways, like his original rough draft screenplay. I mean, I was curious about it as well. I, I love that kind of stuff. And and uh, what's his name, J.K. Rensler, who I believe did the Planet of the Apes film book and the Star Wars film books, um, came on to write the comic based on the screenplay. Now it's an eight parter, which is lengthy. Um, it's very different and yet familiar. Uh, well, that's the thing. I think they used the, 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 the first treatment as more of a frame. Mm. And then they obviously did include some of the stuff that was in the other, in the, the movies that made it to, um, to the cinemas. Yeah. Or, uh, because there were things that were like, kind of like making reference or they, they had, character say line so i think they used the more the the early designs yeah. and the rough draft and then they kind of just added some stuff uh, extra stuff in there and, and, and made some ties to the original stuff it was interesting i mean i was very very curious reading this i was slightly let down by it i i, I did feel it really had that first draft feel uh as a writer i could tell this was someone's yeah. first draft um there was a lot of unnecessary scenes frankly and, and some you know just confused subplots that said it was still very interesting as a star wars fan which i am and i've always meant to read it and i was glad we've done it for the show but i wanted to turn it over to you with your deep knowledge of star wars what did you think of this whole endeavor um it's truly fascinating because i think this this treatment is a lot more in line with the the old like sixties, fifties um, uh, uh, matinee shows and all that sort of stuff. Sure. 
especially the design and um like the characters and all that so it was just an interesting way of you know because um you know again george lucas worked on it and he tweaked it and he tweaked it probably started bringing a bit more of his own because i think his original draft was he was really pulling from those like flash gordon yes uh type of stuff and then i think as he was working on it he refined it more to his own mm. um vision and stuff and all that um and so it's just interesting because this one does definitely feel a lot more like those old flash gordon uh, uh type of stuff do you know what i mean but um it's very fascinating and i think they kind of wanted this to possibly have a couple of more um like i think they wanted to do a two and a three yeah but uh obviously this was when um they, uh, they got sold um mm. you know lucas lucas arts got sold to disney and so this came to an end and so we never ever got like a sequel because this is definitely like a new hope where it kind of ends where the empire is still there yeah, yeah, it's this like is a, just a, this is just a battle that they've won against the empire, and that's why they. I think at the end of that, they had to put in a thing of like, oh, you know, eventually they defeated the the empire. But I think they definitely wanted to maybe try and continue with this the Star Wars, uh, maybe do like a, a part two and a part three, their own sort of um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I look one thing I did, I do think that hurts this a little bit is there's far too many characters. Yes, agreed. And similar um, characters as well, you know? Yes. Like, there's just, uh, there's a lot of characters in this stuff where, obviously, the, again, that, again, that's, again, probably, again, uh, George Lucas, he's refining, he's like, oh, I don't need these characters, don't need that. I need to, you know, I, I kind of need to focus it more mm. down, uh, you know, and, and not have too many characters, um, uh going off because there is a lot of characters i mean a lot of characters dying so it's almost like a bit of a game of thrones where yeah you know characters are just dying left right and, and what about that guy a lot of characters to keep track of what about that guy who isn't uh what's the guy's name with the long hair star killer someone star killer the kid anakin star killer yeah yeah, yeah anakin star so Star-Killer. not anakin star killer not luke skywalker but the other guy the captain and he just dies in like that sacrifice when yes. they, yeah, when... yeah. So he's he's a character that's helping them. He's in he's in quite the quite a few of the first like three four issues. Yeah, and then yeah, he just gets killed. <laughs> and, uh, can, helping them escape. Can you clear up for me? Because I was really, really confused. What is going on with the kids in the um sort of like when they put the kids in sort of like hibernation or something? What? I well, uh, just because of the dangers and obviously kids being kids, uh-huh. uh, uh, they just wanted to keep them quiet and out of the way <laughs> while they were sneaking around, right. fighting and all that shit. Sure so they wouldn't, you know what I mean? So they wouldn't be like necessary distraction or uh, possibly get killed. Because, I mean, don't forget that um, uh, Anakin's brother is killed. His younger brother is killed like at the start. Early on, in, like, yeah. In, in the first like issue, in the first four pages you know who i thought was a good character who i reckon they should have done more with was the father of anakin who was like almost half robotic kind of like how darth vader becomes robotic in the yeah actual that, that guy's name is kane kane was actually a cool character and a cool idea and sort of dies kind of before you get a chance to know him i, I thought he was cool and i was disappointed that he he died um there was also Interesting, actually, ending, which I didn't see coming. The, um, the Sith teams up with Anakin at the end and helps him escape. 
Well, so this is one, this is a negative thing I do have to say about the, this, and again, maybe they were hoping to uh, flesh it out a bit more, is you don't actually really know what the Sith and the Jedi are in this. Because literally everyone has a lightsaber in this. Yeah, everyone, everyone's got a lightsaber, I know. Like the Stormtroopers have lightsabers, the (laughs) Jedi have lightsabers, the Sith have lightsabers, like literally everyone has a lightsaber in this. So you're kind of almost like, okay, so what is so special about, because in this, Neither Luke nor Anakin use any force abilities. Yeah, there's no tele. They, uh, they're just really good with a lightsaber. True, they're just really good fighters. I think. Yeah, you're right. Actually, there's there is no sort of, um, yeah, the, yeah. It's like what is it? They have that the the saying that they wound up with is so much better than the saying in this book. What what do they say here? They say the be the force with others or something rather than they. May the force of others be with you. Yeah, it's just, it's just like, yeah, I'm glad you refined that, George. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They don't actually really get into what the Jedi Bindu and the Sith are, because that's what they're calling this. They, I mean, everyone calls him Jedi for short, but they actually call the Jedi Bindu. Wow. Uh, Jedi Bendu. And, but again, like they have red lightsabers and so do the Sith. Mm. So, you know, that's why I said like, it, and it was really cool because the uh, Stormtroopers are the ones that had like the white the white lightsabers and all. But as I said, like yeah. everyone has a lightsaber, so you're almost like, okay, so what makes the Jedi and the Sith so special? Because I haven't seen them use any force abilities. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not they're not like doing blast the deflex. They're not like you know force pushing anything. Like so I'm just trying to and again, hope maybe they would have gone more into that. Yeah. Um if they could have continued the story and all that sort of stuff. But um yeah, uh, really cool. I mean, the the art in this is is really fantastic. Um, the art is done by uh, Mike Mayhew. Yeah, I was really, it's really good. Go- it's really gorgeous art. Although the one weird thing is they make Han Solo look like Swamp Thing, which was yeah, Han Solo. Yeah, kids, this is a very different. When Han Solo turns up, I was like, wow. Oh, and ha- and Han Solo has his own lightsaber as well. So, but he and he's just this big green guy who does almost nothing. Um and he really Han Solo in this does almost nothing. Chewie in this, the Wookies are very similar to the like. I mean, the Wookies in this, but I love the way they just train Chewbacca to be a pilot, and then he's the best pilot. And yeah, I, it's one of those tropes in stuff where they, you know, we got to train these people, and we can do it in a day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's no like you would go, no, 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 no. You cannot, you cannot train tribesmen. Yeah. To, to fly fighter uh, jets in like a week, it's yeah. impossible. It's totally impossible. It's like if we were going to do a bombing mission in Iraq, Rich, and the Air Force came to us and said, "Okay, we're going to train you in a day, and you guys are going to do the flight." It's like, okay, are we are we confident? Like, are we sure that this is the best move? Um, oh yeah, but it, not not even in a week. Even if they said we'll train you in a week, you're like, no, that's not going to happen in a week. It's happening tomorrow. We're going. And out. the Wookies in this look a lot more like apes. They do. And I was kind of questioning that, like when they're when they're doing this, and like the Wookies look like apes, but they sort of almost like at what point are they taking that direct from the like C three PO almost looks like C three PO? Is that just the artist doing a slightly different version of C three PO from the movies? So, no. So again, all of these designs mm. are are based off the uh, 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 Ralph Macquarie uh, early designs. 
right that okay. it did. So the okay. the original thing for C three PO was that design that they use in this book. Well, that's good. So it's based off. Okay, that, that that I'm glad about that. So they're basing that off someone who's done the original designs for Star Wars back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Look, they did make uh, they did change or tweak some stuff, mm. but it is but it is all a, like they took the 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 Ralph Macquarie designs mm-hmm. as the basis. And and then sort of extrapolated from there. Okay. Uh, and 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 I know this. So one of the changes is they did, they completely changed um, uh, Han Solo, mm, who didn't look like Swamp Thing in the original designs. He had a bit more like bug eyes. Right. Um. <laughs> uh, so I, I it was very weird when I saw this. I was like, oh, why does he look like Swamp Thing? Because that's not what the original designs look like. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I said like, it's, it's all, you know, and people do want to put their own spin on shit as well. Yeah. Uh, but they did use the Ralph Macquarie designs as the basis for, mm, okay. for the designs. All that. And it was so interesting to actually read, um, uh, 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 uh R2 had actual dialogue. It was hilarious. I didn't see that coming when R2 just spoke up. I was like, Whoa, I, I, that was a complete surprise to me actually. Yeah, none of these. He's almost like, "Geez, you pompous ass." I would say this, which is quite funny. Comparing like what we read to the New Hope, I honestly think every alternate decision that Lucas made was for the better to this screenplay. I I think his second draft was so much better. This is a decent first draft. Like it's got problem. It's got every first draft has has issues. That's the whole point of first draft. And every good writer is improving. You know, the second draft is supposed to be a lot better than the first draft. And it certainly is. But nonetheless, I did find it interesting. I found the art very good. At times, awesome. Um, the guy didn't know what, how to do a Stormtrooper. They're really kind of vaguely drawn. I've never, I was like, like, why are we sort of sketching our Stormtroopers? We're not committing to an exact look. Sometimes they look like standard Stormtroopers. Other times it's, they're a bit more sort of like it. It just felt like the guy didn't know what to do with the stormtroopers. Although I'm, I actually very much like the design of the stormtroopers in this. Mm, okay. Uh, w- w- when you actually see like a proper um, shot of them, mm. uh, I actually think their helmets are fantastic, um, and I think they're like far better than the shit that they did in the sequels. But when, to me, the stormtroopers in the sequels. I mean, I've got one, a statue one. They look exactly like the stormtroopers normally. Yeah, but these stormtroopers actually do look different. Yeah. They got more armor. Their face masks are much different. Mm. Actually, far more imposing. Actually. Yeah. Now, I don't believe that these. I don't think the stormtroopers in this might be Ralph Macquarie designs. Mm. I think this might be extrapolation from that. But I think they did a fantastic job. I mean, again, look. Um, here's the thing with um, uh, with Mike Mayhew, right? Mm-hmm. He's more of a um, like a a cover guy. Right. He does like really nice, like, um, like poster shots and all that sort of stuff. I think him actually drawing a book and doing like action stuff and all that. Um, his art does look a little less, um, uh, consistent. Right. Yeah. I, I thought, but, when, when, but when it's just like a character and it's a close up of them, like yelling or, or talking, it's really, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well detailed. And, and there's emotion in it and all that, but I think he's, um, 
uh, his action is it's a little less tight. For sure. And so that's why I, yeah. I think, and yeah. since the stormtroopers are always just getting the shit beat out of them, yes, it, it's probably what makes them maybe the stormtroopers look a little inconsistent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but when, but when you actually see a picture of the stormtroopers just like in a shot where they stand in, mm. and, and you can see their design and all that, they look really fucking good. Yeah, it, no, there's some brilliant artwork in this. At times, like at, at times, I'm like, man, some of the faces he had on some of the characters, like on Princess Leia, I was like, wow, that looks really good. You know, like that looks like that's next level good in terms of artwork, uh, and and you you know as an artist the tricks that they probably have, are they doing it off photos? I don't know. It was so realistic that I was like, man, like I don't know how they do such good artwork at times. I'm just like I'm amazed. So the the, the issue with this is I think it's a lot of it is uh, I think he's a, a painter. Mm-hmm. So again, when it's a bit more action. Yeah. Um. It, it's when it suffers a little bit more. Mm. It, 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 when characters have been a little bit more static, it looks phenomenal. Like as I said, when it's a close up of someone and they're yelling or they're talking, it's fantastic. So he basically does like light lines. You can definitely see that he, he still draws it, but it's it's a lot of it's it's painting. Yeah. All the work, all the detail comes through the the paint. Gotcha. Yeah. Like okay. Through the coloring and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Like, I mean, I was... He probably does use photo references, uh, but he probably uses a model because the the, the faces are very consistent. Right. Like, they have not been pulled from, like, a an image or a computer because there's no ways you can get the characters looking exactly the same yes. in multiple different stuff if you're just taking oh, good point. A, a picture of the internet. So, like uh, Alex Ross does, mm. he probably gets, like... Uh, people models. and he takes like photos and he gets a lot of reference, right? Uh, okay. Stuff for like mouths, eyes, expressions. Do and all you that do sort of that? Stuff. Do you do that as an artist? Have you ever done that? Um, Interesting. Uh, yes and no. Uh, for facial stuff and all that, I usually keep a little mirror, right? Okay. Um, and then what you do is you can look in the. This is a trick I learned from like animators. Mm-hmm. What animators would do, especially like in Disney and all that, is they would always have a mirror with them. Mm-hmm. And when they were trying to do a, a character pulling a face or doing something, they would pull that face in the the mirror just to see how it looks. You know the the how the shape that the mouth would make, or you know the the eye and all that sort of stuff. So I do that sometimes if I'm trying to do like a yeah, a okay. quizzical face or a a, a a a you know not a standard sort of face like just someone talking or looking or something like that. So, uh, but some people like Alex Ross because they're doing paintings. They also yeah. want color reference, mm. so they'll probably usually take photos yep. of people so they can get the lighting and 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 the shadow and all that sort of right with the skin tone and all that. So, because I've I've read because uh, I'm obviously not an artist, I know nothing about artwork. But uh, back in the day, like you know, in the night up to the you know, but up to the two thousands, like artists had to have you know whole portfolios of reference material to do things. Because the internet didn't make it as easy, kind of thing. So, like, I've heard artists explaining how they had to have all this, like, literally folders of shit. So if they had to draw a cow or a, something, you know, they they could reference it. Like, so, yes, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot of good artists, um, you know. And after a while, you 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 retain the information. Sure. So a lot of the times you can you you it becomes grained in your memory and you can you can draw it from memory. But yes, if the you, you, because let's say you're working in comics, you're doing something, you may have to draw something you you don't draw that often. Mm. Yeah. So you would keep like references of cars 
animals, mm. buildings, all that sort of stuff. Um, but then again, if you worked in comics or whatever for a long time and you were drawing similar stuff over and over, you could sure. then draw that from memory. But yeah, uh, now, but this is also how a lot of artists now get caught. <clears throat> right. Um, swiping things off the internet. Sure. Or just taking a stock photo or, yeah. you know, uh, and stuff. Because it's on the internet. Everyone can see the goddamn picture. Whereas back in the day, you would have to get a friend or someone to to, to pose for you or do something or whatever. Mm. Um, so you could get that reference and then draw the pose from that and all that. So If you had to draw a triceratops from memory, could you do it right now? Uh, technically, yes, but it wouldn't look that great because I don't draw <laughs> Triceratops very often. But oh, well, you know. I, I, I've seen enough Triceratops that I, I would de I would definitely get the basics right, as in, like, the shape and all that. In the wild, Rich? You but, see them in the wild in South Africa? They've got a few Triceratops there? Oh, around. shit. Uh, I've said too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm roaming no, around what, in what the What fields. I meant to say was I've never seen a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> roaming around in the fields. Oh, man, I'd love to no, see No, but it. I mean, you've watched enough like cartoon shows yeah, and yeah, like yeah. You know, yeah. Jurassic Park and all that. Like, I could definitely get the basics done and the shape and all that, but the finer detail, I would have to like, uh, yeah, get get some sort of reference photo like, just to make sure I'm getting like the beak part right, maybe the eyes. Let me um, say this. Okay, say I am a, um artist. And I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, some sort of like espionage story, and I want a glamorous femme fatale. Uh, you know, back in the day, I assume people went to a lot of magazines, you know, kind of those high glossy magazines. And if you, if you saw a model, like let's just say for for one of a better example, you've got a picture of Margot Robbie looking beautiful in some sort of trench coat. Uh, you know, if I'm a really good artist, assume I'm a fucking master artist. Assume the opposite of what I actually am. And I draw that based on the picture. Is that fine? Is that normal? That, I assume that's normal. Is that right? Um. What, what, no. What, what do you mean? So you basically you you just draw Margot Robbie. Well, yeah, but based on this picture, I'm seeing a Margot Robbie, and I'm like, oh man, this is the perfect image for my femme fatale, and so I draw it based on that. I assume that's what people do all the time now. That kind of thing. Probably, on yes. I mean, I, I usually would say that that is um, probably cheating a little bit. Right. Um, uh, but, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, uh, if you're not really good at – I mean, personally, what I would do is if I'm trying to get the best pose mm. or I'm trying to – I might use the pose that a woman is doing – from a model shoot or something like that, oh, that's the pose I'm looking for. Mm. And I'd rough out the pose and all that sort of stuff. But then I would then create the character myself as in the look of the character. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily go, I'm going to now just exactly copy Margot Robbie's face. But, you know, I, I, some people do do that. I mean, again, that's what Alex Ross does with mm. his stuff is he, he uses actual models and he like that's the person yeah he does like batman yeah. adam west batman who looks exactly like adam west that kind of that's kind of what he does yeah it? but yeah. not just that like if you look at like when he did um kingdom come mm. you know the guy that he got the model is basically that guy looks like superman like that's what he looks like and the old man i think it was his dad yes that's what i've heard so yeah. so they look exactly like they do in real life yeah i mean again you can do that but i think that's i, I think that's okay to do if you're a if you're a painter mm. Right, because you 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 are using them and you 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 casting them as the character in a sense. Mm. But I mean, if you don't have Margot Robbie's permission, yeah, to 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 use her likeness, uh, I probably wouldn't do that. 
Yeah, but but I've seen like I've seen, for example, in Catwoman, Ed Brubaker's Catwoman run. Okay, he had Darwin Cook, and he had various artists like Cameron Stewart. He had great artists, and then he had Paul Gillespie in the like last arc, and like Paul Gillespie, I I the artwork was brilliant. You know what I mean? Like it was so different to what went before it, but I loved it, like that final volume. But he, you know, the character Slam Bradley. You familiar with the the character Slam Bradley? He's like the original detective from Detective Comics, and he's in some Batman, and he's kind of one of the big characters. Oh in, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the big characters in the Catwoman run. Anyway. Um, when Paul Gillespie came on, he drew Slam Bradley exactly like Robert Mitchum. I mean, to a T, you know, uh, and I mean perfectly, you know, and I was like, what an odd, I mean, I'm a Robert Mitchum fan, so I mean, I enjoyed it and it looked beautiful, but I was also like, wow, I wonder, you know, like at a certain point, like obviously, I guess the estate, you know, they're not paying them anything, you know, but it's Robert Mitchum, like, you know. It was. Uh, I was just curious. It, it, was that normal? I, I, I don't know. It's all murky, though. Right. Um, yeah. Again, some artists do that. Some artists don't. Sure. Um, but it was definitely a choice, is what I'm saying. He definitely. You know, chose well, I mean, to that, do that. that's what happened with um, the Ultimates. Yes. I mean, that, that, that's why Samuel Jackson ended up being um, Nick Fury, Fury yeah. because they wanted Nick Fury to look exactly like Samuel Jackson, and so they basically just took a photo of Samuel Jackson and drew it. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it's Samuel Jackson and Nick Fury. So um, I don't know if you need permission for it. I mean, but it it depends on people. I mean, some people are very, very protective of their likeness and all that sort of stuff. Lee Marvin in the 60s, I know, sued. They they did a comic with his exact likeness on the front cover, and he sued, and and never a second issue of this comic came out. Um, yeah, so, so that's yeah. what I said. You, you, you can do it, but you are taking a risk because yeah. it, it comes down to the celebrity and how protective they are of their image, of the image. So, yeah, yeah I and mean, I mean, I guess this guy's rolling the dice. He's thinking, well, Robert Mitchum, sadly, has long passed away when they did this comic. Uh, the estate's probably not going to be aware of it. It's not like it's not like Catwoman is the biggest comic of all time. Um, but uh, just for Robert Mitchum fans, I was like, wow. Uh, <laughs> and it was so striking because when Robert Mitchum was a good-looking guy, you know, um, and Slam Bradley prior to in the story was kind of, you know, a bit of a shambles. Like, he was a bit beaten up and everything. And it was it was an interesting choice because it actually, the character, like, the look of the character looked far more glamorous than the Slam Bradley we had been reading about previously. And I was like, I had a bit of, I, I had sort of an internal debate about whether that was a good choice or not, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't answer that question for you, but um, yeah, yeah. look, it all, it all comes down to the person because, I mean, Samuel Jackson loved that they used yeah, his likeness loved it, yeah. for it's Nick Fury. I mean, it ended up getting him a job, so, exactly. you know. Um, By paying one. Look, I, I think as a celebrity, I think you should you should leave it. Yeah, because again, it could work out like um, like oh, Samuel yeah. Jackson for you, where yeah. people associate you with a character, and you may actually get the the part if they ever if a cast use the character for a live action. So, you know, I, I don't see the harm in it, but as I said, some some celebrities, some high profile people are super super protective of their likeness. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Well, turning back to this, I mean, I, I will say in wrap-up, it's very interesting uh, as an idea, as a comic. I did feel it suffered a lot of the problems that all first drafts suffer in that it's a bit sort of overly complicated, you know, to get started. Like, he actually, funnily enough, he's talking about the trade delegation. It was very much like the starting of Phantom Menace. Um, some of the stuff at the start. But, uh, like, overall, it was enjoyable. I'm glad I... I'm glad I read it because I've always wanted to read it. And I always thought that um, Luke Skywalker was Starkiller. I, I, I always, in my mind, thought that. But there was actually a Luke Skywalker. He was just the aged father of um, of Anakin and um, the other guy, wasn't he? Oh, was he? So, it was like, yeah, again, there's been, there's been so many different versions. So... Uh, originally, they yeah, Luke Skywalker was going to be the old man that he is in this. Yes. Uh, then there was also a name, Anakin Starkiller, and you know he was going to be younger and blah blah blah. And then he ended up basically uh, keeping the Luke Skywalker name, but then making it the younger. So yeah, again, it's all it's all based on his like rough drafts. But yes, at one point in his draft, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Han Solo was an, a green alien. <laughs> yeah. Luke Skywalker was an old old man Jedi. That's you right. know, as Anakin Starkiller was a younger, and so yeah, he had a lot of ideas. And again, you know, it, it just shows you why never, never just go off your first draft. No, definitely, because you because you've got good ideas in your first draft, but the first draft is always unrefined. Exactly, and it needs a rewrite. And Thankfully, he did do the rewrite. I mean, I, look, I, I enjoyed this. I'm giving it 7 out of 10. And I think for a hardcore Star Wars completionist, it's like an 8 out of 10. Because I think an extra point just for the sheer curiosity of what's going on. Like it's a, There you go. You, you just gave it my score. There you go. You gave it 8? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, yeah, and thank you for uh, actually bringing it up, Richard, because I've always meant to read this. So it was actually a pleasure sometimes just to, to, to knock off a book that you've always kind of, you know, had your eye on. Now, um, we're coming towards the end of the show. I do want to mention The Collective. Um, you've got a lot of big, you know, shows. Obviously, you've got Signal of Doom, the biggest and the best. But you've also got Inner Demons with Brian Biggie. You've got Into the Night with Ray. You've got Capes and Lunatics. You've got Last Sons of Krypton with Connor and Ray. Um, I'm going to be on Capes and Lunatics Ultimate Spider Cast on Sunday night, discussing um, oh, some Ben Riley stuff with Ray and with um, Phil uh, from Capes and Lunatics. So I'm guesting. So Dave's doing a bit of moonlighting. Um, obviously, cash under the table, Rich. You know all about it. <laughs> um, you know, favors. Well, every, well, everyone does now. Yeah, favors exchange. You know, long distance stuff. Um, we are going to do the episode of Supreme coming up soon with Adam. Um, there's going to be another Legion Outpost next week, so there's plenty of content coming. Now, Richard, I've got two choices. Next show is our 250th show, and we are going to do... Weekly comics are all going to be 250 issue issues, so not 250 issues, but just like four examples of comics. Issue, issue 250. Issue 250. Thank you, Richard. I'm tired. Uh, but I've got two options to do as the trade of the week. One is Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, the Alan Moore Superman story. Two is that uh, Star Wars Legacy, that big collection, Volume 2. 
what would you like to do? Have you got a preference? I mean, I don't care. Uh, Whatever happened to Man tomorrow is a lot shorter. So there's that uh, aspect. Yeah, but I, well, I was going to say, if we, when we do the Star Wars one, we'll probably have to split that into two. Sure. Sure. Well, why, why don't we do whatever happened to the man of tomorrow? Because that can be just a solo story for two fifty. I think you know. Yeah. Sure. Um, so we'll do that, and then then very shortly sooner soon we'll do Star Wars Legacy over two episodes. But I I just I I do want to get my hands on that. But I am looking. I've never read whatever happens to the man of tomorrow, and I've had the hardcover sitting next really? to me. No. Yeah. And I've had. I think that. I've read it like seven times. No, I've never read it. Uh, I have read the man who has everything issue, obviously, which is included in the hardcover. But um, no, I've I've always wanted to read it, but I've held off doing it for the show, which is why I haven't read it yet. So we'll we'll do that for two fiftieth, and and we'll do some issue two fifties of regular comics. Um, I do want to mention the Patreon. Thank you to all our Patreon supporters. It really helps keep the lights on. It helps us keep. You know, paying the show running costs and, you know, it's all essential. So, look, if you can support the show, look, for as little as a dollar, you know, a month, patreon.com slash signal of doom, it's very much appreciated. It, it all goes towards show running costs. Um, you know, all these things cost money. And, um, you know, I'm not made of money, Rich. Um, some, some think so, but no. Bruce Wayne, even he needed the revenue stream. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, he had people helping him with that revenue stream. He it's sure did. Like he did it by himself. Yeah, that's right. And I need people helping me. So we'll do that. So, man, on that note, I think this has been an epic show. We've Richard's gone down to the phone. He's continued. He's blazed a trail. I think you, you're working well on the phone, Rich. Real, real good on a phone. You know? Yeah, choose the battery up, though. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, look, on that note, I want to say thank you and good night. Good night.